Welcome to School of Everything Else. Thundercats. From beyond any known galaxy, bringing with them the laws and ideals of their doomed planet, Pandera, come the Thundercats. Jaka, the wise. Tigra, the invisible. Chitara, the quick. Wily Cat and Wily Kit, cunning junior duo. Control the deadly. And the snark. The Thundercats, all sworn to serve their young lord, Lionel, and to instruct him in the secrets of the Eye of Thunder. The Eye embedded in the hilt of the mystic Sword of Omens, and the source of the Thundercats' power. Thunder! 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 Thundercats! Pursuing the Thundercats to Third Earth and determined to possess the Eye of Thundera for their own evil purposes are the hideous mutants of the planet Plumdar, led by the reptilian Sly. They form an unholy alliance with the ageless devil priest of First Earth, Mumra. In this episode, we will be talking about both the 1985 original animated TV show and its 2011 second incarnation. With us is animation aficionado Jerome McIntosh of Gameburst. Good day, sir. Good day. Jerome, thank you for coming on to this long-awaited episode for me. Um, I would like to conduct this show as though our listeners have never watched this series, or either of them, frankly, uh, because let's face it, the majority of them haven't. Plus, yeah. it, um, we can't just assume. I mean, we certainly don't want to be talking with familiarity about it, as though, you know, oh, we all know that bit that happens. We kind of have to, we almost have to spoil it by just, you know, talking about it in the depth that we do. Remember when we talked about Green Lantern, the animated series, and we're like, well, yeah. we're going to hold off on the good stuff. And <laughs> well, great, because that means we never got to talk about Aya, really. Yeah. Um, plus, it means we get to attempt to describe some very silly and some frequently awesome things. But a little history first. This show aired from 1985 to 1988, but in the UK, we got it in early 87, and only the first 50 episodes or so. Now, this is a theory that's going to make Brits go, ah, and Americans go, oh. Arguably, in the UK, Thundercats was more special and more appreciated. In the USA, since Masters of the Universe emerged in 1983, sorry, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, animated shows were produced in massive blocks of 50 to 65 episodes at a time per season, and aired every day of the week alongside each other so you'd get a gi joe which we never got over here a transformers and a he-man maybe with a brave star after he-man and she are finished and eventually a gem and the holograms a rude dog and the dweebs and a ninja turtles every single day along with a bunch of other shows that we never got in the uk like voltron in england cartoons were a rare currency the bbc would show one 
one Bucky O'Hare or a Visionaries per day. Same for ITV. And on Saturday mornings, Going Live would have one Samurai Pizza Cats. And you wouldn't get another episode of that show for seven days. So we savoured every episode of the real Ghostbusters, rather than gorging daily on a buffet of cartoons like our American cousins. It's kind of a perfectly symbolic divide between our classic austerity versus Western excess. And this may be one of the earliest, most deep-seated reasons why I have always wanted to live in America. I wanted the excess. I wanted the access to the buffet. Uh, and then I found out about the, uh, the constant gun crime and it scared the shit out of me. So, yeah, maybe, maybe not these days. Basically, the last 65 episodes, everything from Thundercats Ho! The Movie, which was released on VHS over here, never reached these shores until its DVD form in 2008. There were uh, repeats in uh, 1990 on uh, Saturday Morning TV. The first 50 got aired originally, and then 15 more eventually got, got through, but then they stopped. But... In between time, between the time it first aired and the 1990 point, again, this was just after you were born, uh, Jerome, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles had made its mark, and suddenly nunchucks were a filthy ninja aberration, which resulted in some very choppy editing for the Panther scenes. I don't know if Americans would be aware of this. The BBFC specifically, but suddenly ninjas terrified them. And uh, every time Mikey went behind his back in, in Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles... It immediately cut to the next scene because they were never going to show Mike with uh, with uh, nunchucks. In fact, I remember waiting until I I got the figure. I was like, "Oh, he's got nunchucks!" Because <laughs> they wouldn't show you on the uh, on the cartoon. <laughs> so I was born in 1980, so I was at the optimum age to appreciate Thundercats. Any older, and I'd probably have found it embarrassing to watch because of its earnestness and. Uh, as it was, I watched this more attentively than any other show. I would sit through nearly all of Going Live just to see Thundercats. And they kept the time it was shown inconsistent to keep you guessing. I remember thinking, ah, okay, right, it's on at 10.30. I'll come back next week and just start at 10.30. Oh, it's already finished. So, yeah, um, you kind of had to watch the whole magazine show. I don't. Did, did they have those in America? Like a Going Live? Hmm. It seemed like in the UK it was to try and fill time up, whereas in America it was just cartoons and commercials, and specifically toy commercials. But then the same as everyone else of my age, I was stricken by turtle mania. <laughs> What's the cure for turtle mania? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think I, I still might be in, I'm in remission right now. But uh, I kept a fondness for Thundercats for the rest of my life until 20 or so years later when the 2011 TV show aired, the new version. I snapped it up on DVD and then on Blu-ray, neither of which have been released in the UK, even though both seasons of the original series have. And I can confirm the 2011 Blu-ray of Thundercats 2011 is multi-region. Now, a lot has been changed for this new version, and in nearly every way, it's a better show. Not every way, but nearly every way. It's able, at its best moments, to rub shoulders for just those few brief moments with Avatar. And that's a bold statement on my part, but I'm going to say it, and I'll back it up later. And despite some shaky spots in season one, it showed incredible promise. The same as Green Lantern, the animated series, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, Young Justice, Symbionic Titan... Samurai Jack, Spectacular Spider-Man. And like all those shows, it was cancelled before it could reach its peak. Killed at 26 episodes in less than a year, rather than 130 over three, like its predecessor, and leaving us in a Thundercatless world once again, awaiting 
a third attempt or a movie. And since the 2011 failed so spectacularly, did it? It just it failed. Marketers will look at that and go, "Yeah, we failed to get. We we did not get tenure with this. It's a it's a risky property. So that actually makes the likelihood of a movie or a third try lower, which kind of makes these guys feel like the underdogs or the undercats, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Undercats are on. So what we're going to do tonight is talk about key aspects of both shows and cover them both together rather than starting in the distant past and then repeating the pattern in the more recent times. That way we can compare and contrast the different approaches of each show. Okay, so we'll start with the intro, which is what everyone will remember about the very first uh, Thundercats. If you've ever seen Thundercats, you'll remember the intro. Even, you know, modern day animation fans will you know, tend to admit that Thundercats has got an impressive intro sequence. Now, Jerome, you were born in 1990. So, I mean, what were you comparing this to at the time? Um, well, just in terms of the time, intro. probably the X-Men and Spider-Man, because the yeah. time when I watched uh, the original Thundercats is, when I was young, cable had come to the UK, so I had channels like Fox Kids and Cartoon Network, which mm-hmm. meant cartoons pretty much all day, every day. And yeah, so the more like 80s, the American way of doing things. Yeah, and the 80s stuff like Mask and Jason Will Warriors and Thundercats used to come on at night, so these were shows I'd watch in the evening. Nice. Did, was that around about the year they were showing Mobile Suit Gundam Wing? Uh, that came a bit later. All right. So, I mean, so it was up against X-Men and Spider-Man, both of which have memorable intro sequences. <laughs> yeah. Um, how to just, like, rather than describing what happens in the intro sequence, because that's something that every one of you needs to uh, go on YouTube, just have a listen to this music, if nothing else. Now that you've all gone and seen it, the immense amount of motion and action and just raw kinetic power within those that animation, it sells it way higher than what you actually get in the show. It's it, it gets you so excited for what you're about to see, and then the fact that what you're about to see is in no way as energetic as the intro sequence. It you're still on a high from that intro, so it kind of doesn't matter. I mean, just for me, it might be the best intro of all time for any TV show. Maybe up against the West Wing. See, one of the interesting things is, in cartoons, even today, like 
a lot of money goes into the intro because that's like their delivery point. That's how they hook you. Yeah. So you'll find some of the best animation often in the intro of a cartoon show. Yeah. Cowboy Bebop's got an incredible intro as well. Archer, similarly, it's obviously inspired by Cowboy Bebop. Fantastic intro. The Last Airbender, Firefly, Deadwood. And although I actually now hate the show itself and everything it stands for, Game of Thrones. Aquatine Hunger Force, incredibly catchy intro. And these are all appealing to the adults who grew up with these shows. But compare that to the 2011 intro. (laughs) I'll play it for you now, folks. Did you catch it? (laughs) It's about four seconds long. I mean, it's it's full. It's exciting, but it's so short, and it's so full. It's it's you get a full character roster in that first one. It's like every single important character you're about to meet, just so you know who they are. You know, Panther is a total badass. You know about the Thunder Tank. You know, Chitara is really really fast, and you know that Lino can just like what what he can do with the Sword of Omens within a second. They hammer that Thundercat symbol home. Even Wily Kit and Wily Cat seem cool in that intro. (laughs) (laughs) and they show you Mumro and they terrify the shit out of you before you even start but the the new version comments it's a title card yep and now you're watching Thundercats I mean it's uh, okay it's saying now you're watching Thundercats it's still going and now you're watching Thunder Thunder Thundercats and that's it it's very dramatic but it's so short and it's character free and I think that was a major oversight I think if they had tried to... I mean, it's almost like they were like, well, we can't beat that first intro, so let's not try. Big mistake. Try to beat it. Try to better it. Try to just hook people in. It, it might have been that they were told on no uncertain terms, you cannot put an intro longer than 10 seconds in here. We need that time for advertising. In which case, that was a shit idea. Or it could have been that the runtime of the actual episodes mm. was so long that they had to shorten down their um, intro so it didn't eat too much Maybe. into the actual episode. But it almost feels like just they, they should have made a long intro once that on the occasionally short episodes they could mm. show it, you know? Just show that intro. Yeah, that's, that's normally what happens because you produce this very uh, well-done intro and you choose a certain point where you can cut it Cut it down for your short episodes. Yeah. I mean, for your short intro episodes. Yeah. Maybe slightly less of Lino brooding for 30 seconds. Because, <laughs> I mean, those intros in the, big, in the, in the, the original, um, in the 80s, were really long. They just yeah. went on and on. Like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles introduced to everyone important again. And again, it was hugely, massively popular. G.I. Joe, massively popular. Masters of the Universe. Adam literally explains what's going on. Because it's like, when you're flicking through, you'll see the intro, and it makes you sit down and watch. Yeah. Like, you lock, you lock yourself in, like, you say, oh, I'm just going to watch the intro, because I love it, and then you're watching the whole episode. But in the Masters of the Universe 2002 series, they were, they must have been thinking, look, we can't get anything that's quite as iconic as that original, so let's reference it. I am Adam, Prince of Eternia, defender of the secrets of Castle Grayskull. Fabulous, boom, and then suddenly action just explodes out of nowhere. It's like, oh my god, it's like he map up with proper action and explosions. I have the power! And it's like, it, they, they 
fully go in there for the fans, but at the same time, that's a kick-ass intro for kids who've never seen it. Mm. Uh, and of course, that show was also cancelled. <laughs> so it's still not going to save your ass, but at the same time, I think it had more episodes than than Thundercats. Yeah, definitely. I will yeah. double-check that. But um, whatever politics meant that they couldn't have an intro sequence, really bad idea. But yeah, the, back, back to the original Thundercats intro sequence. The It has this... Uh, just the promise of that animation. I don't think I've ever actually seen anything with animation that awesome run for a full-length feature. Too expensive? Well, yeah, yeah. It would, it would, it would be exhausting to watch as well. Just, but all the leaping and the firing and the shooting and the blah blah blah. But they've also like it's it's a, it's a less like because everything in the car, the actual cartoon is simplified. It's like they've like super detailed everything just to give you that oomph you know mm. but uh yeah i mean really i could just say the intro sequence for 90 percent of the time and everything else in thundercats is just a bonus but um but yeah no there was there was a lot more so let's go into that the music in both counts so the first uh first score was by bernard hoffer what do you think of that guys it's iconic yes you hear it and you definitely know what you're listening to. Yep. Part of the reason you hear it and you know what you're listening to is that they repeat them it, so damn often. It's because there's so many episodes and they, they he Hoffa just went for themes. So he'd have a Chitara theme that would play whenever Chitara was about to do her thing. Yeah. Tigra rarely got his theme because he was never being awesome. Um, Panther occasionally got his theme, but my God, you get you got the Thundercat, the Thunder Tank theme. I was going to say Panthro's theme, the Thunder Tank theme, are yeah. kind of interchangeable, really. Well, th- Panthro's is whereas the Thundercat <laughs> is is. But I mean, get first one then the other. But you like for the folks listening at home who haven't really been into Thundercats, but did watch it when they were kids. I'm going to be playing a lot of Hoffa stuff throughout the show. You're going to be transported back because Hoffa played this stuff over and over again, but in, in a way that like made you overjoyed to hear them. It never really got old. Even Snarf's theme. Yeah, we'll talk about Snarf in a bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will talk about this repeatedly later on, but Tiger's Eye was actually massively informed by Thundercats. For folks who, I mean, if it's not blindingly obvious, Tiger's Eye was my attempt to bring the Thundercats up to date in a way that it's like, right, imagine if there were humanoid cats. How would that work? But rather than going, okay, if there were humanoid cats, they would look like an 80s hair metal band. <laughs> like friggin' White Snake <laughs> or, or uh, Twisted Sister, they actually look like humanoid cats. But um, I kept that same idea of themes. So um, there are re- repeated motifs throughout Tiger's Eye where it's like, right, rather than having to fill this with 60 different tracks, I'll find 20 different tracks and then play each one a couple of times at moments which have a thematic similarity. And so, yeah, that was uh, inspirational. But also the voice cast was massively inspirational in the, the idea that, that, you know, maybe six people could do the voices of 20 characters. And um, 
and that's actually persisted throughout New Century, and, and so this is um, going to carry on. So obviously Thundercats was massively inspirational in that regard. Um, but on the other hand, the 2011 music, what do you think of that? How is it different? It's much less recognisable. Yes. I, I can't say... Can, like, can you hum uh, any of it? <laughs> um, the starting one, because it's based off the original... Well, yeah, no, uh, anything apart song. from the Hoffer stuff. The Hoff. The Hoff 2. Just a name, nothing more. Where did you come from, little Tigra? It seems the gods have delivered us a son. A tiger? Not just a tiger, Claudus, a prince. I will admit I am someone who's terrible with music. Like, okay. when, when I enjoy it, it fits so well into the scene that I have trouble, like, separating it out. Okay, uh, how about... Da, 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 da. No, hang on. That's Harry Potter. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Hang on, I've got it. I've got it. Hold on, hold on. Okay, it's massively, massively influenced by Harry Potter on the one hand and the Chronicles of Narnia uh, on the other, um, which both works to its favour and detriment. One, it does not carve itself a niche out to be original, but two, it sounds incredibly cinematic and emotional and authentic. So it's a double-edged uh, sort of omens. Ha <laughs> mm. um, <clears throat> But ultimately, I can't really fault the music in either of them. It's fantastic both ways, but the Hoffer stuff is going to be more memorable, especially to people who have, um, you know, sort of squirreled this away in their minds. It might be that um, kids who watch Thundercats 2011, when they hear that music again in 20 years' time, they'll go, oh, Thundercats 2011. Or just Thundercats to them, maybe. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I can't tell. But, uh, but folks, you tell us if you were, were a kid in 2011. It's, it's not our usual demographic, but, uh, but let us know. Okay, so... The overarching plot of each show, because folks who have no idea what's going on, (laughs) this will need explaining. So who wants to do this one? Uh... (laughs) Start with the 85 version. Um, Okay, right. So Krypton's... Sorry. Thundera (laughs) is exploding. (laughs) The Thundercats come from a planet called Thundera, and it's exploding because... And you find out later, and I don't know if you guys know this, Jaga apparently dropped the Sword of Plundar into the core of the planet to destroy it, which destabilized the core. Oh. That's actually part of the original 85 lore. Okay. okay. I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of the 85 story is, like, it's back there, but... I don't think I registered it as a kid. <laughs> that it's may be because we never got Series 2. Yeah, yeah, that, that was Series 2 stuff. And plus, when I was watching it, it was at the time where they didn't show things in order. Yeah, yeah. You uh, kind of took it when you could get it. <laughs> yeah. Just want to say, to name check Kevin Kleisch, the, uh, the um, composer of the uh, music of the... Uh, uh, the 2011 Thundercats, because obviously Bernard Hoffer is also name-checked. Okay, right, the overarching plot is the original Thundercats 
Thundera explodes, some nobles get off planet, and they fly to Third Earth. There's a bit of time compression involved in this, because it would appear that it takes about 10 years for them to fly from Thundera to Third Earth. Um, and in, in that time, all the Thundercats, apart from Jaga, are inside sleep capsules. And Jaga grows... He's already old, and he grows older, because he argues that he, we cannot let the autopilot fly us. We might become damaged. In, it's been, been damaged. We might crash or go off course. I'm our only hope. And also, I'm probably going to die even if I am in the time capsule, because there's some time will might still pass for me. It's a good way of sort of getting him to slowly sacrifice his life for the uh, Thundercats. It's a, the Jaga theme is, again, wonderful and memorable. But then all the other Thundercats don't age, but Lionel does. He's like a ten-year-old kid to begin with, and then when he wakes up on Third Earth after they've crashed their spaceship, Jaga's died and disappeared like Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Lionel has is a twenty-year-old man's body with a ten-year-old boy in his head. Which means he spends most of the first season asking stupid questions and having to be taught stuff. Which is kind of great because it means that the 10-year-old kids watching can learn with Lionel. But at the same time, they're watching somebody who has their brain, but a giant, muscular, awesome frame. It doesn't make any sense that he is as cut and ripped as he actually is. Unless there was like muscle stimulation the whole time. But basically, he bursts out of his child clothes while in transit. Uh, and meantime, his contemporary... Only in specific places, though, which is a bit worrying. Yeah, his, his thunder <laughs> penis does not explode out of his thunder pants. Uh, and he never wears trousers, by the way. In the entire series, no one ever... I don't think anyone ever puts pants on. I they, think they're averse to it. It must be some sort of insult. It's Ch- against the Thundercats. Closest you get is Chitara wears tights. She wears the required uniform for a girl. Um... Uh, Wily Kit and Wily... They never make a deal of this. But it doesn't seem like Lionel really knew Wily Kit and Wily Cat that much. Because they're the same age as he was when he went into the capsule. And then when he comes out, they don't go, Ish, it is weird now looking at you at 20. And he doesn't want to play with them anymore. Like, he, 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 he doesn't... Like, he doesn't really play. I think he goes, like... He, he, he plays around in in the river and tries to get Snarf to come in once or twice, but he doesn't. He doesn't have a like. He immediately sets his task to more adult-oriented things, and really throws himself into being the Lord of the Thundercats. And so, unlike Tom Hanks in Big, yeah. he goes and gets a job at a toy store. Yeah, you'd think it would kind of be that he'd still be clinging to childhood. But uh, no, he, he jumps in and he's, uh, he, he tends to sort of rush into danger all the time. And then the mutants who uh, attack the Thundercats as they were t- try to get hold of the Sword of Omens, which Lionel ha- has ownership of, um, when they were in transit from the exploded Thundera to the new Third Earth, they land on Third Earth as well. No mention of time compression there. None of them go, oh, thank God we had those sleeping capsules. It's like a day has passed for them. Yeah, they, they kind of never really address that again. And the Thundercats are sort of like on this untouched Eden of an Earth, which still has its own weird inhabitants, but it's pretty much... It's kind of implied that it's a later version of our Earth. We're in some Battlestar Galactica shit at this point. <laughs> but um, uh, like there, there are signs of previous civilization, but they never really go into sort of, this used to be, blah, blah, blah. They never come across the bones of an old city. Um, which is something I addressed in Tiger's Eye. Technically, 
Technically speaking, could you not argue that the bones of ancient Egypt are there? Yeah, yeah, that's the closest you really come, because obviously um, the, the big bad is an old mummy. Uh, um, called Mumra, who lives in a pyramid that the mutants, uh, who is uh, Slythe, a reptilian, Monkeyan, a Monkeyan, and Jackalman, a Jackalman. They, <laughs> they didn't, those guys didn't have names, and their names were their species. <laughs> See also Snuff, who was a Snuff from the Snuff tribe, and he had a nephew called Snuffer. Uh, who I think called him Uncle Oswald or something like that. So he did actually yeah, have a name, but everyone's called him Snuff. Which is kind of Snuff. like calling him Ape if he was an ape. <laughs> or human. <laughs> if he human. was a human. Which Hello, is human. racist. How are you today? My name's John. Yeah. No, name. it's human. We're calling you human now. My name is John, for God's sake. So, yeah. Um, so the Thundercats basically very quickly set up like a, a mini version of Thundera on Third Earth and build themselves a giant monument to themselves, which is <laughs> a giant cat made of stone. It's like a giant sphinx fortress, like a tech fortress called Cat's Lair. And it's awesome. And I built one in Minecraft. That's how much I love Thundercats. I, I had a difficulty finding that much blue wool, and I live in daily fear that it will get struck by lightning and catch fire. But um, but yeah, his, his giant blue head is made out of blue wool. Um, but uh, yeah, um, so they, they build a monument to themselves, and immediately the reptilians build a monument to themselves with Castle Plunder and get in league with Mumra. Mumra is like an ancient um, mummy who when he calls upon the ancient spirits of evil, can turn into a giant Super Saiyan mummy. <laughs> and they emphasize that, obviously, in, in, in the new show. But um, I think, like, he's creepy when he's just a, a creeping mummy type, but then he becomes terrifying when he turns into Mumra. Like, if you're a small child, he screams and he laughs and he cackles and he's really over the top. Ancient spirits are evil. Transform this decayed form to Mumra, the ever-living! And basically, it was 130 episodes of them kind of getting to know the inhabitants of Third Earth, learning moral lessons, well, Lino learning moral lessons, being taught stuff, um, sort of working together, a lot of friendship, a lot of... Like, they, they never say, let's try the most non-violent way of solving this one, but they always seem to find the most non-violent way where no one gets hurt of solving every situation. It's not quite as non-violent as uh, He-Man. They have more of a, a sense of action, but there's the liberal use of the trip maneuver. I've been saying this for years. <laughs> like, you know, if you're in a fight with some mutants, trip them over, then they run away in fear. You have no idea how powerful the trick was in the end. <laughs> that there was, was some next level martial arts. There was never any point when Lionel were charging at Slide and then they went, Arr! and then there was a, uh, uh, 
and Slide's eyes widened and Lionel stabbed him through the heart and they froze in place and then Lionel sort of pulls back and then just like a samurai sort of flings his arm out sideways to slash the blood off his blade and then sheathes it. That never happens. Nah. No one even got cut. They were waving weapons around morning, noon and night <laughs> and no one ever got... Specifically a sword. Yeah. <laughs> cut, hit, beaten... They got gassed a lot, but it was always sleeping gas or knockout gas or some other type of soporific gas. Or warp gas. For the new show, this will be like a turn up for the books for people who haven't watched the new show. It was set on Thundera and it never left Thundera. And the Thundercats are still nobles, but they're kind of these Amish Thundercats species. They don't know what technology is. And they live in this medieval-type uh, city, this walled-off Ba Sing Se. And for some reason, it would appear they lord it over the whole planet, yet they don't know what technology is. And then there's a plot, and they get infiltrated with a Trojan horse by the mutants. And then the whole city gets bombarded and attacked. And the uh, a small group of Thundercats has to, uh, to walk away after the battle, where after Lionel's father, Claudus... Uh, who did feature in the original but got blown up by uh, when Thundera was destroyed, um, gets stabbed in the back by Mumra, who has been plotting the downfall of the Thundercats for a long time. And this is, this is kind of exciting when you first start watching, because you're like, is this like... Because they ended up in the original series on a new Thundera. They went to like the remnants of old Thundera, which had somehow reformed into the new, like, a new planet. And it was like, well, hang on a second. Is this like generations later? Like this, this is all happening again. This is some Battlestar Galactica shit. Um, you know, which is fascinating and exciting. But then you quickly drop those that line of questioning because they never really go anywhere with it. You just have to kind of accept they're medieval Thundercats. They don't know what tech is. Then when they go out into the world, they discover tech. And so this bunch of Thundercats are wandering on a quest like Journey to the West, like Avatar The Last Airbender, to um what are they trying to do uh that's that's a problem (laughs) never made entirely clear carry on sorry uh i I think it's more like they are bullet points okay let's let's get the book of romans yeah okay we got it yeah um uh, let's get the gems. Yeah, let's yeah. get the gems. Yeah, meanwhile, Mumra has this giant gauntlet and he wants to get all the gems to put in this gauntlet. One of these gems is the Eye of Thundera, the red one that's in set in the Sword of Omens. And then when he gets all the gems into his gauntlet of infinity, he will become over 9,000. 9,000?! There's no way that could be right! It can't! And Lionel has to stop that happening. And there's a whole mess of stuff about some kind of flashback to a time when the Thundercats did know what technology was, and they were in space. And that's the overarching plot of Thundercats. It's a long marching journey that comes to an abrupt halt with no actual resolution. And that's a problem when you start watching, well, when you finish watching the 2011 show, because you go, "Uh, that's it? That's it? On the other hand, they they go to many adventure villages, which is a TV trope, which is exactly as it sounds, a village wherein you get into adventures. And like, it's an episodic situation. They're always wandering every week. And when they eventually meet Panther, they're, they're going in the Thunder Tank. And um, 
they, they get to, to meet new people and, and learn lessons. Like Lionel learns lessons that way. But crucially, he's not a child and he's not an adult. He's in that point in between and there's no messing around with time. Um, as I recall, though, because they really don't make a big deal out of this, Jago doesn't die Obi-Wan Kenobi style and then keep reappearing Obi-Wan Kenobi style to, to Lionel in the new version. He did that a lot in the old version. Mm. You know, it's more... Um like he was alive then Momra technically killed him I think he imprisons his soul in a something he gets yeah, in the so lantern at one point yeah <laughs> and then the lantern gets smashed yeah yeah. but then he goes into the book of ornaments there's uh, one of the other TV tropes because if you go to TV tropes Thundercats has pretty much all of them is kitchen sink fantasy and that's specifically the first season but the second season the, the, the second shit, sorry 2011-85 but the uh, 2011 one is also not so much guilty, but uh, indulges in this. Kitchen sink fantasy is where anything goes. Aliens, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, mystic samurais, dragons, just all sorts. It's just all there. Yeah, just chuck it all in. And it's, it's, it's a world where anything can happen, which kept you guessing every week because there's no um, constraints to that end. And it's like they could get into any kind of uh, adventure, which kind of must have been freeing to write. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the fun things for them is trying to interpret all these things from the original 80, 80s cartoon into a way and coming in, coming up with a more... Plausible. Not the most, not the most detailed explanation, but a more plausible one. Yeah. Um, in both shows, there's kind of a sense that the Thundercats themselves are aristocracy because Thundercat is not a race. Thundercats no. are like the leaders of the cats. And in the first, um, in 85, they're like the nobles and they get off the planet. And in fact, when you go to Thundercats Ho the movie, a bunch of peasants are trying to get to any ship that might get them off of Thundera and they see the nobles getting away and they go, ah, the code of Thundera, honor, truth. What is it? Hang on. What's the code? Uh, truth, honour... Justice, truth, loyalty, honour. That's the one. And they, they say that while they're watching it flow, and they go, yeah, justice, truth, loyalty, honour. Not very loyal or honourable <laughs> leaving your... Uh, Compatriots your left Patriots behind to, to die. die. <laughs> mm. I think they even kind of deflect it so that Lionel doesn't end up freaking out for the rest of his life over having to leave people to die at that stage. But the idea is that they've got to get Lionel and the sword off the planet. But yeah, they're, they're the aristocracy, and in 2011, they're almost reviled for it. They're like, you know, <laughs> you cats coming around, lording over us, you know. Because they've spent centuries, I believe, yeah. in power, sealing themselves off while going, still going to war and like looking down upon most other races and tribes but again they don't know what tech is i don't even understand that like how, how do you yeah. it's like the roman empire going up against gundams because these guys have got mech suits we don't even have mech suits yet <laughs> see i i think like the level of technology that's in the show like that's all been introduced by Mumra. so him coming back mm. like he's increased the level but uh, yeah like no, there's, the there's still like a underlining level of technology where i think it's like the like the heads up like the king and Jaga seem to know, yeah. and they just like they they've created a rhetoric where it's just nonsense. Yeah, it's, they do it's kind of have like, that. Yeah, they have that flip, don't they? Where instead of it being like, well, magic's all nonsense, and and they're doing it the other way around. You know, technology, technology is, is nonsense. This myth and legend. <laughs> what time is it? 
Are you checking your... Well, then, technology obviously isn't nonsense. Unless you're checking your sundial, it's not nonsense. And you know what? Even a sundial is technology. Is technology, absolutely. <laughs> you know, ass bag. Um, there's all, so, yeah, that they're kind of... It's, it's an, a great idea, but it does not stand up to close scrutiny. Um, I, I, I like the idea of tech being like um, something fabled and like Lionel uh, buys tech in the market uh, and he's like, oh yeah, I've, I've got this this sort of what appears to be a landmine that he's tinkering with. He's like, you sure you want to fiddle with that? Yeah. From from the first episode, first couple of episodes, it makes sense. Like technology is this thing that's closed off from the, it seems like from most of the world, turns out not really, it's yeah. just the uh, cats. And the only reason these lizards have so much is because the mumra then yeah. you find out no it it, it doesn't make so much sense it, it turns out from some i still don't really have this down i've watched the series twice through and i still don't really understand what mumra was doing what he wanted apart from to rule the universe which seems to be his aim in both 85 and 2011 it was the same aim as megatron and ming the merciless in defenders of the earth defenders the by the way folks take a shot every time we mention a new cartoon <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, it's the same like ridiculous tyrant I want to do this that's a lot of paperwork you know that's that's a lot of plate spinning you know it's like well when you will the universe I, I think he says something along the lines of you know I might you know to Lino's ancestor who was helping him from the sounds of it uh, I might give you a planet and it's like dude not only will you give him a planet you might have to give him several galaxies just so you have someone you can trust to look after them I, I think the, the closest they've come to like giving him some sort of motive is the fact that he does actually these evil spirits he's calling upon. He does literally serve them. Yeah, like, there's this he brief seems to like owe mention, them, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. So it might be like this is like the debt that he has to pay. But I'm the thinking ge- Shadow Man. Yeah. yeah, but the gems just seem to make him a total badass. They don't seem to do anything like once thanos gets hold of the infinity gauntlet which is obviously what we're talking about he can control things like time and reality that's terrifying and it put into practice that could really have some repercussions on the marvel cinematic universe in fact i think it's gonna but um with mumro it seems to be just like look don't even try to beat me in a sword fight when i've got a giant (laughs) gauntlet on because i am over nine thousand, and i've got these giant wings and a mech suit and uh oh oh i see you also have gems and you also have an awesome okay so you got wings and a giant mech suit as well i guess we're going to be in a relatively evenly matched sword fight then which kind of renders all of that power somewhat moot at which point they throw it all away and have a hand-to-hand fist fight you know what? At the end, the last ever episode of the 85 show, Lionel wrestles with Mumra. Just fair, fair enough. Just like gets him on the ground, gripping his hands. And it's like, I've wanted to do this for years. All this stored up tension, Lionel. Can you feel it? And he's like, you know, I can feel it. Which brings us to vocal performances. Jerome, because Sharon and I have discussed this, what is the overriding difference between the 85 voice performances and the 2011 voice performances, which I believe were directed by Andrea Romano, the legend herself behind all the awesome DC animation and Avatar The Last Airbender? Um, so uh, the way I describe 80, the 80s cartoons, like it's, it's like people are reading a bunch of catchphrases off constantly. <laughs> 
Where there's Whereas... slime, there's worm. One of my favourite episodes. End of line. End of delights. Where's my next fly? And whereas the 2011, it's actual, like, trying to create Acting! <laughs> yes. It's literally, it's actual voice acting, mm-hmm. you know, trying to create actual dialogue. Yeah, not trying to deliver standard. realistic characters who are multi-textured rather than very, very basic, overly simplified characters. Would you say not it was a... In one tone. Yeah. Would you say it was a double-edged sword, though? Because that's what I'm getting at on this. At certain points, yes, like, um, I'm a bit biased to a certain voice actor. Which one? uh, Is it Tyler, uh, the guy who plays Batman Beyond? No, no, where I'm quite fond of him. Oh, hang on, Kevin Kevin Michael Richardson. Yes. Playing Panther. He's literally the person I wish I had his voice. Oh, yeah. You want to take a step back? You're standing on my summer flange. We've talked about him before on uh, uh, Transformers Prime. Carry on, Jerome. Sorry, <laughs> he's bulkhead. Like they got some excellent voice actors, and you can tell they're trying. But at at times, it's like it comes off a bit. To me, it comes off like some of it just doesn't come off as natural. It's a like little flat it. sometimes. It's quite uh, neutral. Like they're 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 being dramatic about it, and they seem to really care about it. But it doesn't register in that same way. Uh, in fact, well, I asked Sharon who's the best, um, most memorable voice in this show. She said, Panther, Kevin Michael Richardson, straight away. <clears throat> On the other hand, in the original Thundercats, everyone's going way over the top. <laughs> yes, Slide, we shall take the sky cutters to them. And this was the... This ir- is my superhero voice. Listen to me talk. Yes. For some reason, the Thundercats outtakes... Which I'm going to play for you now, folks, because I'm probably going to end up mentioning them several times anyway, are the ones which stuck in my head more than anything else, even though I did watch all of these over and over again. Um, So, yeah, here are the outtakes, just to get them out of the way, shall we? And swearing, folks, just so you know. Thunder! 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 Thundercats, I'm going too high! You've got to get back to the lair, Panthro, before those mutants do something drastic. Come on, I will get yourself together. Come on, <laughs> It's when Wily Cat and Kid are pretending to be the most helpful that they're dropping their pens on the thing while I'm talking. Can't stand it. Going to pass out. <laughs> Can't hold on to it any longer. I should have known the Terrator didn't mean us any harm when the Sword of Omens didn't obey me. And anyway, it was just plain stupid to assume it might be bad. Just what the fuck am I talking about? I want to see your tits, my dear. Motherfucker! You fucking dog, you! Shut the fuck up! Get over here, bitch! Ah! Oh, damn! Run out the fucking plank, boys! Come here, motherfucker. You, you gotta snap out of it, Lion-O! Call the Thundercats before! Shut up, you fuck. And keep your foot off that blasted Samo flange. What the <laughs> fuck is a Samo flange? <laughs> I have to do that again. Oh, Lionel! We're not. <coughs> What's the matter, Snarf? We got a cold. <laughs> it's when Wily Cat and Kid are pretending to be the most helpful that they're dropping their pens on the thing? While I'm talking, let's find the mega condenser. I'm saying that too fast. Let's find the mega condenser. Still going too fast. What's wrong, Lion-O? Oh, fuck, here it is again. What? 
What's here again? That thing, that, that mega thing. Want me to say it? Yes! I'm going to put this one right between her pretty. <laughs> that's the line of the show. Okay, so yeah, that's just because they were adults trying to wrestle with really cheesy dialogue. In fact, that come, that's a well, the perfect place to put it. Because they had to say, I'm going to put this one right between her pretty little. Um, and they had to say it uh, with conviction. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, ridiculous though their dialogue was, every single voice on that show, if, you, if I just heard a clip of audio, I would be able to tell you, that's Vultureman, that's Rotaro, that's Hachiman, that's Snowman, that's Mumra, that's Tigra, that's Willa, that's Willa's mate. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so many characters and somehow they're all distinct, even when they had only one woman doing all the female voices. Oh, God. Um, just somehow, all of those voices are so memorable to me. And, um, you know, Larry Kenny as Lionel, obviously, you know, the, 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 a, a wonderful kind of um, base to return to as a kid, to sort of like, you know, to, to, to give you this baseline hero who's, he's, he's basically Shazam. He's Captain Marvel, DC's Captain Marvel, the original Fawcett Captain Marvel, mm. uh, <laughs> a small boy in the body of a superhero. Because let's face it, he's got superpowers. I'm, I'm just going to say a completely random fact. I know this has nothing to do with it, but when you said Shazam, I thought of uh, um, the, um, oh, what's it, the Shaq movie. Oh, Kazam! <laughs> I, no, you're thinking of thing in my brain. Name, the evil genie. It's a weird thing in my brain. I know this has this is a complete tangent, but I had to mute myself because I was laughing at it. Nice. Uh, but yeah, the, um, the, the there was only a few voice actors, and they did all of them. So let's just uh, uh, go to the uh, original Thundercats TV series just to uh, to to get a um, a bead on that. Uh, bear with me. Uh, Larry Kenny played Lion O, but also yeah, Jackal Man. And um, uh, Earl Hyman played Panthro, but also the ancient spirits of evil. Uh, Earl Hammond played Jaga, but oh, oh my God, I didn't know that. But he also played Mumra. And, um... Oh, God. <laughs> that must have wrecked him. Peter Newman played Tigra, uh, but also Wily Cat... And Ben Gully, the replacement tiger. <laughs> <laughs> he but he also played. Tiger is never seen again. But he also played Monkeyan, and <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on, let me see what I'm gonna do. Um, and he also played Japanese stereotype Hachiman. Oh. Lynn Lipton, pl- I can't do the, uh, the voices, but she played Chitara and Wily Cat and Luna. Oh, it doesn't say. Wi- oh, yeah, there you go. Willa, Nader, and Mandora the Evil Chaser. Uh, Bob McFadden played Schnarf. Oh, no one thinks of old Schnarf, the Jewish grandma. And, uh, oh, but also Slythe, uh, who for some reason just sounded like the Joker there. Uh, and then uh, a lady named Jirian Raphael played Pumara, who was a late addition to the cast that we never got to see in the UK. But also Chilla, who was one of the lunatics, I think. And uh, Doug Prius played Linkso, who was another new addition, and Aluro. So really, it's just one, it's one, two, three, four, five, six people. 
same as my you know my six standard cast for uh, 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 New Century played all of these characters. Oh, yeah, sorry, Bob McFadden, who played Snarf and, and uh, Slythe, also played Rotaro, Grun the Destroyer, the Driller, the Mole Master, Quick Pick, and Captain Shiner, the German stereotype. Everyone had very broad characterization. You know, if, uh, Safari Joe, this villain who turned up one time, was uh, a sort of a cowardly Australian, slightly British explorer type. Um, and... It, it, it delivered everything in a way that small children could understand totally. Lyra has been forced to see several too many episodes while we uh, geared up for this. And she loves the 2011 version. But she says that uh, the uh, original series is now too simplistic for her at seven. Oh, it's all right for some. I was seven when I got into it. But apparently for her, <laughs> you know, it, it aired in 87. So I literally couldn't have been any younger. But uh, yeah, for her, it's a bit too simple, which is which is great because she's she was with the Last Airbender, age three, so she basically started with the show that's at the tippity top of my animated shows list. What you know was uh, the first thing she really got into. Lionel must be in real trouble. We better get there fast. The shortest way is across the field of daggers. We'll just have to risk it. Thought you said this thing was impenetrable. Nobody is perfect. On the one hand, you've got these fantastic, like ridiculous vocal performances delivering incredibly hammy dialogue for the original that you will remember. Um, and But at the same time, it's embarrassing by today's standards. And on the other, you've got much more realistic, um, you know, deeper characters delivering less memorable performances uh, in the new version, which is it's an interesting trade-off. Oh, God, I just said interesting. It's a revealing trade-off in terms of how the 2011 version, while uh, extremely accomplished, failed to make its impact. Well, you know, is Ben 10 still going? I know SpongeBob still is. That didn't have any problems with having extremely broad characters. Sometimes I just don't check if the show is going because it depresses me when the answer is yes. Yeah. Uh, let me just check on Ben 10, which I've never really been into. Yep, still going. Ben 10 reboot. Uh, prem- it's, it's still going. Still going. Okay. Um, so 
and we've already talked about the weapons and the combat and the, the, the vehicles are a, a characters in their own right specifically the thunder tank which as a kid is fantastic and it's a creation of Panfo seems to be able to do pretty much anything can fall off a cliff and then use grappling claws to get its way back way back up has its own theme so you can never forget it um, also the sky cutters and the nose divers which the uh, uh, mutants fly around in and go under the sea with uh, extremely memorable vehicles give them more agency so they're not just lurking in the jungle going how are we going to attack the thundercats this time uh, let's let's wait until one of them goes outside and then ambush them that's our plan every week right that's pretty much what they do very simple let's talk about characters okay oh actually hang on um vehicles in the uh 2011 version just to to uh to compare you got the thunder tank and then there i think there was kind of like a vulture man ship battle at the end of the first season the only season that's pretty much it it's really just down to the thunder tank so thank god they got that in there and it looks cooler but it's got that kind of it's like like the iron giant they've animated over cg within a 2d frame which uh, yeah it makes it look awesome and especially when it gets like um bumped up to 11 halfway through the burbles like uh, you know bolt stuff onto it to make it even more awesome <laughs> um, right so characters again 85 and then 11 um, how would you describe Lion-O beyond what we've already said cheesecake <laughs> <laughs> Ex- not beefcake explain cheesecake beefcake beefy cheesecake <laughs> or cheesy beefcake <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think that sums him up, actually. He's, Lionel he's, the cheesy beefcake. Um, <laughs> is he quite as, as bulked up and muscular as He-Man? He's on a par. No. Put it like this. Um, Mattel are, have just finished Masters of the Universe classics, which are, like, really <clears throat> chunky. And um, they're just starting on Thundercats classics and using very, very similar shaped and sized moulds. So, right. Okay. So, so yeah. So they're going page. for sort of the the traditional hero based on the barbarian model. Yeah. 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 Or or the Superman model, because ultimately there's a, there's a lot of sort of comic inspiration here. Indeed. Yeah. And in terms of his mind, as well as being this like strapping Adonis. Um, he he never had to earn that body either, did he? He never had to work. No, that's the. And thing. he doesn't have to maintain he's, it. He's, he, he's never seen eat, you know eating potatoes and drinking protein. He ages in a in a space capsule that's broken. When he <laughs> he should be up, withered. And he should be skinny. And basically, when Neo comes out of the pod, yeah, in the, in the first quarter of the Matrix, that's what he should look Why like. Why do my eyes hurt? Why do my eyes hurt, Jugger? You've never used them, Lionel. Yeah, I, I used them for ten years. Oh yes. Sorry, I'm, I'm ghost <laughs> senile. Yes. Um, in terms of his mind, I, he's not—he's not stupid. No. Um, but yeah. simple. Yeah. 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 He tends to—he um, tends to sort of act as though he's learned how to be a king. By watching, interestingly enough, Masters of the Universe cartoons, yeah, he yeah. he's kind of very much into that um, mythical hero template. For being a king, he does a lot less sitting on a chair and thinking than he should. <laughs> to be fair, that would be the king of a um, sort of more as Claudius is in the 2011 version, king over a large number of subjects. Yeah. Mm. 
Lion-O is king seven over people. seven people <laughs> who would soon tell him if he sat there on his backside while they're lugging rock to build Cat's Lair. I am half the king Lion-O is, just of this family. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, hang on a minute. Bad maths, I know. I'm one third <laughs> the king Lion-O is. Well, no, no, I was thinking more... Oh, are you? Aren't I in charge? Well, you're, che- you're Chitara in the tropes. Have, you're the girl. Have, I'm the girl. And so basically, we we are both in charge and Lyra has to obey both of us. Yes, she's both Wily Kid and Cat. <laughs> oh, Shut dear. Up, yeah, cat. it all falls apart a bit. Oh, God, that kid has the most annoying voice. Uh, uh, Panthro! Look, look, there's the m- mutants. Yeah, you know what? Everyone always complains about how Snarf was annoying. Wily Cat. I found him annoying even as a kid. I was like, this is our representation? At least Wiley Kit was kind of a badass at times. Mm, yeah. Anyway, so we'll talk about that when we get to Wiley Kit and Wiley Cat. Um, so, yeah, the difference between Lionel, the sort of the man-child, and, I mean, as, as well as you know, being able to do all of that, he's actually pretty good at fighting. He's very mm. athletic. He sort of runs headfirst into every situation. Then he learns a lesson because he finds he's like probably shouldn't have punched that guy. Yeah, but I think I think what's most telling about Lionel in the original Stop, don't eat bees it? directly out of the nest. <laughs> so, don't eat, I don't I mean, care how honey fried they the are. The bees, they're, um, they're defending themselves somehow. But I think what's most telling about Lionel in the does come a cropper to some bees. <laughs> I think Mama dresses up as bees. Sorry, carry on. Oh, dear. Ha. One of my many disguises. (laughs) I think what's most telling about him in the early version is not specifically about how he is portrayed as how everybody else responds to him. They are either ridiculously indulgent of his foibles or incredibly respectful of him and looking up to him simply by virtue of the fact that he is the king. I actually really like the development with the 2011 that it's much more realistic in that everybody is smacking him upside the head the whole time and going, idiot, that's wrong. You can't do it that way. And basically telling him that he's got to kind of shape up if he ever wants to be any kind of leader. Jerome, do you want to flesh out the 2011 liner? Uh 2011 Lionel is very much like your adolescent um, uh, king who, well, soon to be king who has had most things handed to him. Mm. Um, he's he's um, quite rash. He's always chasing his dreams and he doesn't have a good sense of responsibility, yet he has a sense of entitlement that he hasn't really earned. My God, he sounds odious the way you describe him. How, how, does, how is, is he likable at all? That's the the thing is he's he's got that um the reason why I say the chasing the dream sort of personality is like it's it's this weird it's like whenever you see a child who who's like dead set on like this little thing like you know it's that a kind of ridiculous but it's sort of endearing in a way like he starts off like an endearing sort of character like because things aren't it there isn't like a huge there aren't isn't any threat or anything. He's just, oh, he's uh, shirking off his responsibilities to um, to search for technology because yeah. that's an interesting thing in the world. But as time goes on, like, he has to deal with the fact that he's weighed down by a lot of this responsibility and he's, he sort of, like, his adolescence ends and, like, he starts to see how big the consequences of his actions have. And, like, he actually... Um, 
while he still has a lot of that rashness and um, he does react badly to stuff, like he's genuinely like he's a grow a person who's growing. Yeah. I think the main difference between the two of them, if you put them side by side, is that the 2011 Lion-O um, is very much a, a participant on the typical hero's journey. The mm-hmm. yeah. uh, 85 Lion-O <clears throat> doesn't even have that. He literally just goes from child to hero. <clears throat> and although he may have uh, various lessons every week, they don't coalesce mm. into a, um, a concrete arc. Well, but it's it's... It's because he's learning so many little things all the time. Yeah, they don't have that prominent journey for him to really have. The closest it really comes is the uh, he has five trials at one point. These were in America. These were aired out of joint. They're even uh, on the DVDs and just really infuriatingly. It's like it's a five-day trial. He has to face one Thundercat on each day. And the trial of strength, Panthro, day one, is like on disc four. And then, then there's four episodes. And then there's the trial of strength, day two. And then you have to switch oh. to another disc. And it's the trial God. of strength, uh, trial of uh, cunning, and then speed and intelligence or something like that. And so, yeah, Tiger and Chitara. So it's, it's maddening. And then at the very end, he has to basically face Mumra. But by that point, you've had to put in and out multiple DVDs. It's so stupid that they aired them out of sync and then they stuck them on the DVD out of sync. <sighs> but the irony is that that makes him actually much more um, realistic um, and potentially more relatable to a young child. Because in that he learns they, new little things every day rather than conveniently exactly, rather everything than falling in his lap in just the right order. Yeah. I guess now I'm in the belly of the whale, Snuff. Literally! <laughs> Okay, so Tigra in the, uh, 85. Sweet Lord. Oh, the baby. most annoying, <laughs> frustrating, patronizing, patronizing, pointless existence in a cartoon of all It's time. really weird that he's sort of a jack of all trades, master of none. Because Lionel's got Jaga to be the sage, so to advise him to be the older, the older warrior type. He's got Panthro to basically be the strong guy and the intelligent guy and the tech guy, and he's got Chitara to do all the emotional stuff. They kept saying about uh, uh, you know Tiger that he's wise and has ingenuity, but most of the time he was the one blundering into traps. <laughs> In like in the first, like, it doesn't help that like in the after the first arc happens, like the next five episodes, you got like the the uh, trouble with time in the Garden of Delights, and then there's that one where he gets captured by the mutants. Well, in the trouble with time, he ends up blundering into a tunnel where he ages. Garden of Delights, he ends up taking drug fruits from a mumwa disguised as a flower. It's a brilliant episode, um, and in. I can't remember which one it is. He gets kidnapped by the mutants and put on the four winds. They won't let you have nunchucks in a cartoon, but they will let you them attach hit all four of his limbs to like a rack that will then at sunup rip him apart. Oh my god, and that stuck in my head as a kid. So yeah, the tiger basically is the one who most is most keen on telling Lionel about, um, you know, how to be a good leader and at least how to think more. Uh, but he, what he says tends to be delivered in such a... Like, like a little know-it-all. Yeah. 
He is so... He never gets anything right. And no one reacts to him in the way that you would actually react to someone like that. No one Shut ever... Up, no one ever rolls... That, like, that, that, you could you could do that in a, non, like a more respectful way. No one's ever sarcastic to him. No one ever rolls their eyes at him. It's That's one of the re- things that's the least realistic about the original Thundercats. I love him as a character because he's so kind of pathetic and useless and... And, and and silly and 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 funny and un, like a lot of the time it's uh, it's unintentional. The next two minutes contain some of the dodgiest lines I've ever heard in a children's cartoon. I'm fairly certain they didn't know what they were doing or saying, but well, enjoy. What in the cat-eyed cosmos? Who is that? My name is Silky, and I welcome you to the garden of delights. What is your delight, Tigra? Uh, I'm I'm looking for uh I'm looking for sparkling slime. Slime? <laughs> In the garden of delights? From a worm, a big one. I followed it here. Our fruit has no worms. Uh, no, no, I, I can't. I haven't time to sit. Your mind is weighted down with problems. Lose them here with me. Taste. I, I, I shouldn't. No, I... It's sweet. Oh, oh my! Uh, ouch! <laughs> oh, what, what is it? It's beautiful. How do you feel? I, I feel like uh, uh, I'm flying. You are flying, Tigra. Hey, this, this is great. Hey, hey, Thundercats! <laughs> <laughs> I'm falling! Silky! <laughs> Do you have any more of the fruit? <laughs> Thank you, Silky. But first, you must bring me something in return. In the eye of thunder. Bring it to me, Tiger. To Mamra! I don't even know. I doubt very much that it was implied, but yes, he, mm. he does have that tone but you know ultimately if you want to talk about that at least in the in the 2011 thundercats there's this kind of squabbling over the only available female the original thundercats is so sexless there's never any suggestion that any thundercat might get into any relationship with any other thundercat there's eventually there's three women and obviously one of them is massively underage that's never gonna go go in there but at least in thundercats 2011 there's a lot of romance sort of you know shipping going back and forth um but it, it seems like the Thundercats in the 85 version are kind of doomed, you know, because they just, they're... they're <laughs> there will be no reproducing. There will be no reproducing. <laughs> their, uh, their plan runs roughly parallel with the 1968 version of Planet of the Apes. Yeah. 
So ultimately, why don't we just at least relax our sexuality a little, Panfo? Just, just saying. I've already told you, Tigra, I'm not interested. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, he's, he's got a bolo whip. He can turn invisible sometimes, uh, only it's, it's a great strain. He, he can turn invisible when the plot requires it, but gets captured yep. all the other times. Uh, and how is the 2011 version different in every single possible way? <laughs> <laughs> Much more awesome. Aside from well, having a whip, that's about it. He's definitely... Like, it comes across... He's a competent person who's literally been training to... Like, even though he he was never going to be king, he's trained to be king. Yeah. He was going... He's Loki, basically. He was... Uh, mm. um, he's jealous of Lion-O. Although, in Tigra's case, he was uh, genuinely... He was the adopted son of um, Claudus and his wife who had had no child at that point, and so he was going to be king. And then suddenly Lionel came along, and um, Lionel's mother died in childbirth, taking away from Tigra both his title and his mother, which you find that out later in one of the best episodes, Native Son. Um, it's worth saying because it informs on his character, and he's got every reason to absolutely hate Lionel. And he does actually do a pretty good job of supporting him, even though he clearly does have great resentment. Um, quick question, like, were you, were you, did you guys know that he was an adopted brother from the beginning? Um, I think it's kind of, well, his dad's a lion, his brother's well, a what, lion. <laughs> what I thought was that maybe, like, his mother oh. was a tiger, oh. and I thought it was literally just, like, only lion. Oh, no, because then he'd be Ligra. Ligra. <laughs> or Tigon. <laughs> It's known for its well, magical abilities. Basically, the most awesome animal ever. The the episode where I found out he's adopted made made put things in better perspective. Yeah. So it might have Especially, been better to sort of flag that one earlier, folks. Yeah, because I did spend a fair bit of time like, one, wait, what? Why is Lion O um, the king? Yeah. Does it have to be a lion? I mean, his brother's older and seems to be actually want to be king. Yeah. But they actually, now that I mentioned, they have a very strong kind of Thor, Loki. Specifically Thor and Loki in the first Thor film before Loki goes crazy, which suggests that going down another path, Tigra could have ended up a villain. Mm. I think I kind of inferred that he was some kind of, um, like a squire or something. You know how they, the... Uh, aristocracy used to do this thing where they'd take in kids from other families so and Theon grow Greyjoy. up with uh, yeah although less of the hostage element <laughs> yeah that does rather tend to put spanners in the works so also kind of like Loki then yeah <laughs> yeah a frost giant envoy child thing so yeah um the, the, one of the greatest causes of tension is that um uh Chitara is a um uh, one of the uh, Royal Guard who Lionel just meets at the beginning and seems to get the hots for her fairly quickly. And why wouldn't you? She's great. And um, she, he mistakes her uh, intentions of protecting him and guiding him and nurturing him as affection. Uh, and she, you know, really actually does love Tigra and for good reasons. Um, but eventually that comes to a head and Lionel has to kind of back off, which, uh, you know, creates, you know, there's a core point in the middle of the season when they really end up butting heads multiple episodes in a row. But yeah, he was developing into a really, um, uh, you know, into an excellent character. He has one of the uh, the better arcs in the series. 
and one of the things that he sort of established is like uh, the Tigers were sort of like the elite forces in Monra's army. This will come up more when we actually talk about Monra, but there was a whole army thing. Yeah. And like Tigers were like Tigers were essentially considered outcasts because they stayed loyal to Monra and like ah. the, the sacrifice that um that his father made so he could actually have a better life. Mm. Like it, the fact that he grew up not knowing that, like he just thought he was abandoned. Yeah, and he's like he's got quite a big inferiority complex. So uh, he's always tried to do be the best at what he can. But like he, and and it is quite true. Like Lionel gets what he works hard, what a tiger works hard for. Yeah, way too and easily. The and the tension between um the love tri- perceived love triangle between. Uh, Tigra, Lionel, and Chitara is just like another, like another one on the pile for t- in Tigra's mind because once again, like here's this person I've uh, loved for so long and like gotten to know, and the first day you meet her, like she seems to be infatuated with you. Yeah. Chitara herself, do you want to carry on talking about Chitara? In the original show, she was the girl. In the TV tropes, a lot of the uh, early uh, cartoons are arranged like a band. You've got your front man, you've got your guitarist with mystique, um, you've got your. <laughs> that would be Tigra. You've got your heavy, uh, who. Um, well, see, Tigra doesn't quite fit in that. The, the actual term is the lancer, and in the 2011 version, Tigra is definitely that. That's the more brooding type. Um, but uh, then you got your heavy, who was Panther in both of them. But uh, he's also, you know, um, the the smart guy in both of them. Usually, there's another trope of the smart guy, but Panther takes both of those at the same time. Um, and then there's the girl, who's more maternal and nurturing. And Chitara absolutely fit that bill. She's an incredibly sexy character, but entirely sexless in terms of her presentation. There's never any hint that anyone might actually be attracted to her. Monkeyan, like, drools over the warrior women at one point, <laughs> but there's never any implication that anyone might be like, she Tara. I think that's because uh, she's very much the mother. Yeah. Um, in mm. the um, original series, you've got, um, I mean, th- 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 there are no other girls apart from um, the, the warrior women. Um, Wily Kit doesn't really count, but Chitara is definitely there for, you know, putting plasters on cuts and making sure everybody eats properly, and, you know, she's the intuitive one, and um, all of those random things that you want your maternal figure to be able to do, she does them, even and especially when they seem to be entirely out of character with the set of powers that she's got. Yeah. Mm. She can yeah. run, she can run really fast and also is a precog. It's like one of the. Like, there are so many characters in that original show who happen to have the incredible mystic ability to see what's going on to thus move the plot forward to that point. 
Like, Lion has got the Sword of Omens. Give me sight beyond sight. Mumra can look into his cauldron and see what's going on. So they've literally both got the same power there. And then if the Sword of Omens can't find it, they always ask Chitara. Chitara, and like like five times ever, they're like, can you use your psychic ability to see this thing? And she's like, oh yeah, but it might hurt. And, and uh, Tigra says, but it might hurt Chitara. We shouldn't ask her. No, no, I want to do it. And then she finds out anyway. And of course, Jaga being a ghost is also omniscient, so he can always turn up. There's never any point when Jaga goes somewhere else and then comes back and helps them, unless that's the plot of the uh, the cartoon, that episode, like the Astral Moat one. But yeah, Shitara has that ability, and it, as you say, it has nothing to do with the fact that she can run incredibly fast. I mean, like, she could... She should be able to run in extremely fast and be extremely spry, but she's got, like, flash powers. <laughs> she's a superhero. And then the new Shitara is uh, more of a sister type rather than a... Um, uh, a mother type so she's you know she's obviously learning she's doing her own journey as well and uh you know similarly extremely fast but um there's that like she, she's torn between duty and um her own personal feelings there's a bit of a teela element to her in that she's his guardian mm. yeah but i i like the fact that she in a, in many ways and even despite the fact that she's obviously still the only of age female around um she's she's kind of almost in defiance of the mother archetype yeah. um, without going too far to the other end of the slider, shall we say? Uh, I see what you mean there. <laughs> yeah. But no, she's staunchly the maiden. Mm. Yeah. Yes. The warrior maiden. Yeah. yeah. But not literally the more, warrior maiden. No, but that's, um, you know, that was more Willa's role in the um, original series. And Willa had a voice very much like this. She was like Eartha Kitt actually. <laughs> Lionel, the Lord of the Thundercats, came along here. He's supposed to be our ally. They, they, everyone talked like that in that show. Everyone just said what they were thinking. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, Chitara, again, she doesn't really get to really advance as a character that much. It feels like they were going to go places with her. Uh, the um, the bit about the uh, her tiger, like she has to wait to, when she wants to sign up to be part of Jaga's um, clerics, which are like the paladins of the um, the Thundercats. Uh, she has to. He says no, go away, and she has to wait outside the uh, the the temple for three days, and she's going to die. And Tigra, you know, younger at that point, um, leaves a flower with her, which just happens to be. Um, one that will sustain her for three days. And um, she keeps the heart of it in her gauntlet, which is a lovely little touch. But that's the thing that cements them early on, which you find out about later, that, that Lionel never had a chance in that situation. That episode but, feels very Avatar to me. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. I mean, that's, yeah, more episodes like that would have been brilliant. Like, one of the biggest things that I felt was. Chitar- about Chitara's characters, like she very much tried to um, take on the role that Jaga left, yeah, like yeah. for Lionel. Like since the first moment she approached him, like you could tell it's more of this like counselling sort of um, role where you don't like you try to indulge like their interests, but like give sort of advice. Like here's more the way it's supposed to be going instead of just being the sort of person where you just say no, that's the wrong thing to do. Mm. And you like throughout the series, you notice like one of the people she's always been closest to, apart from Tiger, is Jug, and she's the one who takes the 
biggest hit when she when they find out about his death. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Panthro is a, a more of a simple character in uh, in both uh, versions, but at the same time, he's always most people's one of their favourites. Um, he's basically a, a mechanic and a ninja and a panther and the black guy and awesome. And he's just like, he ticks all of these boxes, but at the same time, he never really seems to be overdone. He's always so calm and confident about everything in both versions. And like, you know, when Lino uh, you know, is going, we've got to get over here. He's like, yeah, relax, Lino. We'll take the thunder tank. He's not quite like, hey, relax. Like, he's not Fonzie. But um, he, he's, he's always kind of a, like, because obviously watching it you're, as a young kid, you're like, you know, you want a stable um, avuncular types. You've got your slightly more stuffy old man type that Tigra is not helped by his white hair at the back. Um, and also, the tiger is the best cat. And Tigra made tigers not quite so awesome. It's a damn shame. So I, I tried to address that with Tiger's Eye. But Panther was the, sort of like the cool uncle, the, the one who worked on motorbikes all the time and that was, you know, calm and collected all the time and never really lost his shit, unless there was a bat around, in which case he freaked out. <laughs> yeah. Panther secretly fears bats. I know, I know. Um, and then in the the new version, he's um, he's actually not introduced for several episodes, possibly because they, he might have overshadowed the rest of them. Uh, anything that you want to add to the uh, early the eighty five Panther? Uh, he's cool. <laughs> you pretty much just managed to say everything I did, but in one very useful <laughs> word. And uh, yeah, correct. Uh, but the, yeah, the Kevin Michael Richardson Panther is a bit more tortured because he uh, was um, uh, best buddies with Groon the Destroyer, who turned up in the original Thundercats as being best buddies with Jaga, betrayed them both. Um, in the new Thundercats, Groon, played by Clancy Brown, by the way, awesome Lex Luthor, yeah. pretty much the Kurgan as Groon the Destroyer. Um, but in a kind of a smooth, slick uh, Lex Luthor, you know, uh, I'll tell the company line, you know, just to the point where he can stab you in the back. Ripped out his own tooth to kill a spider. That's so much of a badass. Yeah. <laughs> because he betrays uh, the Thundercats and leads to the death of Cl- Claudus. Claudus? It's got to be Claudus. Because of the pun. Because of the pun. Um, Panfo feels guilty about that and en- ends up like throwing his uh, ex partner into a portal, which then shuts on his arms, severing both his goddamn arms, which is pretty amazing. And then, because it's a cartoon, uh, he is able to have awesome cyborg arms immediately afterwards with some uh, amusing verbal uh, inventions added to them. But, uh, but yeah, but it's like, right. Is there a way we could make Panfo more cool? Yeah, cyborg arms. <laughs> and yes. Yeah, it's, essentially, Panthro is the experienced uh, grizzled soldier. Like, yeah. he's loyal, but he, he doesn't take shit. Yeah. Like, the first moment he meets Lionel, Lionel tries to go with the, I'm your king. It's like, I don't. You, you may be king, but you don't know anything about what you're doing. You see me bowing? Yeah. Um,. And the fact that he's he survived like this whole time by himself, managed to find the tank, and like essentially, in my mind, if they hadn't, if Pathro hadn't found them, they'd be dead. Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't. They wouldn't have the transport to get around with it without him, and and, and they wouldn't have his his vital backup on on all matters regarding to. Because again, they don't know what tech is. He does. 
So he's he's kind of crucial. Yet they still kept like his little quirks, like because it's one of the best things. The fact that he's a bit flawed and like he, he's initially like the big tough, like oh I'm not, I don't like these robot bear things. They're mm. too cute. I don't like them. Where like in the end he becomes like best friends with them because they're mechanics. Yeah, I run a galactic scan for atmospheric compatibility, and this blue planet, the third one out, gives me a readout of ninety six percent. Atmospheric come, come. Uh, that means we could read the air, Lyodor. Even so, it, it's light years away. Oh, yeah. We'd have to make the trip in the suspension capsules. Suspension capsules? No. No. You'll never convince me those things work. <laughs> me neither. When in doubt, chicken out. I'm not going. Oh, yes, you are. No. Yes, you are. Let me go. You hear me? Let me out while it's happening. You're beautiful when you snarl. You know that, Wily Kit? And Wily Kit and Wily Cat. Shut up, Wily Cat! Um, In the original show, they're these shrill, annoying kids who tend to get into scrapes, get themselves kidnapped, get themselves trapped, uh, misbehave, disobey, like do the things that are so dumb, even lying, I wouldn't do them. Um, And... You know, they, they, they go out for excitement and surf on their hoverboards, their spaceboards, which, you know, as a kid, you're like, I would so love a flying surfboard. I can't see any problems that might arise from me flying around on a flying surfboard. <laughs> but, of course, Wiley Kit and Cat run into all kinds of problems as a result of that. And um, they're annoying as all hell. And I, I don't think I liked them much when I was a kid, and I still don't like them all that much as an adult. I don't quite know why they were there because it's not like you wouldn't have been able to relate to the Thundercats without them because Lionel was still a kid at heart. It's kind of like there were no kids in Star Wars and they didn't need to be in a show quite so inspired by Star Wars and Superman. You didn't need your boxy from the original Battlestar Galactica. No. Um, any words on Kit and Cat? They are so vastly improved in the... Ah, <laughs> I'm hoping you'd stick version. to the 85 version. Yes, of course they are improved in the uh, the uh, 2011 version. The original, they are voiced by adults and possibly all the more annoying as a result of it. In the new one, they're voiced by kids and are incredibly endearing as a result of it, which I had not expected. Mm. But I think, in all honesty, um, part of the reason that they are largely annoying and not especially um, engaging in the first uh, series is that they are never fleshed out. You, you don't get any backstory. You don't know where they come from. Who are their parents? Why are they palling around with all of these um, aristocratic Thundercats? Yeah. To yeah. No apparent purpose. I mean, you can see everybody else has a, a place in the machine, if you like. Wily Kit and Wily Cat are an appendage. They don't, uh, you know, they're, if the focus was on um, teaching them rather than it all being about teaching Lionel, then they might feel that they have some place, but they just feel like comic relief and nothing else. But you've already got snuff for comic relief, so what's the point? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and there it all falls apart. But in, in 2011, they're much more streetwise and savvy, a little bit... Sarc- yeah, they're sarcastic, they... Um, 
you know that they clearly they want things and they go after them they do get into scrapes but they're most of the time they seem to be quite able to get themselves out of those which is Mm. important um they're they're oddly empowering for kids as well and because they become more fleshed out characters they're kids kids that kids can engage with and because there's so much larger stuff going on around them they are actually important for, for the younger kids to be able to go, right, okay, who, who would I be able to sort of relate to in this scenario? And because Lionel's not a child, they're relevant. And because Snarf doesn't talk, they're relevant. I can't believe it! Prince Lionel and Tiger are to the rescue! The names are Wily Cat and Kit. We thought we were the only cats left. Maybe we can join you until we get where we're going. Aldara, the city of treasure. Never heard of it. Of course not. I've got the only proof. No. Please? We can't just leave them here. We're on a mission to avenge our father, and you want to play babysitter? They're just going to have to take care of themselves, Tigra. Now let's go. I said no. Sorry, kids. No, we're not following you. You're just walking in front of us. I do think in the 85 version, they're kind of there to show the element of Lion-O that is still a child. Um, And there's almost kind of, I suppose, a, a little pang of, you know, this is the stuff he's missed out on, being a kid, having a childhood, being able to bounce around in the trees, doing nothing but he can be At no point does Lino ever watch them frolicking and go, you know, Snarf, what I wouldn't give for just one day of being able to do that and not be the Lord of the Thundercats. Of course, some yeah, Thundercats fan will jump on me and go, actually, there was one episode <laughs> in season two and he does do that, which I have somehow skipped over in my quest to get through it. The fact that that's not really explored in any depth means that that opportunity is wasted. 130 episodes, almost no flashbacks. Mm. Whereas with the 2011 version, they've, like, they they are like when you learn their backstory. If they weren't endearing before, like like your heart goes out to them because these are two kids who, when they lost their father and like who went out on a limb, took the family out in and started growing. Uh, can't remember what the crop is, but somehow made to make 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 a success out of it. Then a natural disaster comes along. He sacrifices himself to save mm. them, and. While they're growing up, while their mother is struggling, they choose to no longer, so they're no longer a burden on their sisters, sister, brother, and mother. They leave to help the family. So they want to find they, treasure so they can come back and, and make their mother and, and siblings happy. Like they embody like the best tra- traits of a child, like to believe like they can solve the problem, whereas like somehow feeling they're responsible. Yeah. It's uh, it's a very mature and yet childlike decision to to go out and look for treasure so that you can then come back and, and make things better. It's actually now that I think about it, something that ended up in Tiger's Eye. Um, but yeah, and they 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 have tails as well. This was never mentioned, but apparently there is a stigma in uh, the twenty eleven Thundercats of cats without tails towards cats with tails. But they didn't go into it in the first season. They were going to do that later. Uh, um. But they, they, when, when they first turn up and they're like they're tagging along, um, mm. that's the, the point when they could have been the most annoying. And 
they, they are, please, can we come with you? And Lioness says, no. And they just carry on walking. And then they, they, they go run alongside and go, and do like kitten stuff. And they're like, oh, God, it's worse than Puss in Boots. It, but at the same time, they're so cute. And then they immediately follow that up with, rather than that being their only ammo, we're just going to carry on walking. You're walking in front of us. Just to show that they actually are capable on the, of their own right. And eventually they end up, you know, staying with them. But um, that they're not just adorable, helpless moppets. They're thieves. That's the other thing as well. They, um, they, they get by taking what they need to survive on. There's a kind of an Aladdin thing to them. And by extension, yeah. a bit of an Ezra, Ezra thing. That's the word I was... That's who I was thinking of. Like, they are very much an Aladdin-type character. Yeah. Um, and uh, they they also meet a uh, a raccoon named Tuckit. Ah, ah, ah. nudge, nudge. A raccoon named Tuckit, uh, who has a bag, um, which it's a magic bag with an undetectable extension charm from Hermione on it, or uh, um, Mary Poppins. And to open it up, you have to use the term Ronkin Bass, who were, of course the animation company behind the original Thundercats, but also the original uh, The Hobbit, which uh, we uh, talked about uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, also The Last Unicorn. Folks out there may remember that. And one of my favourite animated films of all time that everyone else has forgotten, Flight of Dragons. By the way, folks, if any of you like Flight of Dragons, let us know. You will be instantly on my cool book. Okay, um, Snuff... Like I said, there's a Jewish mother in the first one. She's like, oh, you don't always forget about old Snarf. And, you know, he was Lionel's nursemaid up to the point he was 10. And then in when Lionel is in the body of a 20-year-old, he's technically redundant. And uh, no, he is, he is literally redundant. Let's, let's not let's not beat around the bush. And rather than repurposing himself, he continues to tag along trying to take care of Lionel. Um, and I think he's sort of there to make sure that the situation never seems too perilous. Uh, and, you know, there to keep the kids reassured. You know, as annoying as he is, he's also incredibly memorable. And kind of like in the same way oh, Krang yeah. was in the original Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Shredder! Like, you, you're never going to forget Krang, you know, as a result. It's the reason, there's a reason pop songs are catchy. <laughs> I am tired, Schnaff. I need to rest. But before I do, sweep out my sarcophagus. Do it now, slave! Yes, oh wonderful one. I will do it right now, immediately, this instant. Do what? And sweep out my sarcophagus! Yes, sir, Mumra, sir. What in the name of... Forgive me, exalted one. My old war wound is acting up. War wound? What? War! The Great Snarf Rebellion, 42 to 47. I was a commando, you know. My hands are lethal weapons. So, yes, Snarf is a pop song. And in the new version, he's Pikachu. Which is far better in my opinion. Yeah, 
I prefer him as a pet. The fact that he doesn't talk like makes me happy in a way that I cannot explain. He just goes, ah. Yeah. Pretty much it. He makes adorable cat noises yeah. instead of snarf, snarf. He's a kitten. But... Which sounds like someone trying to yeah, sneeze snarf. but just can't get quite get <laughs> I think snarf's moaning in the original series for 130 episodes does eventually great when you watch them all together. Um, but as an adult, but as a kid, I suppose you just go, well, snuff was kind of annoying. But again, you're like, if he's annoying you as a seven year old kid, who's he there for? (laughs) (laughs) The fact he's, he's lying of Samwise Gamgee. There are, there are some episodes where Snarf actually, uh, that's one called Snarf takes up the challenge, which he proves himself to be very important. And in Safari Joe, when Joe takes out pretty much all the Thundercats and Lionos on the ropes, Snarf saves the day because uh, Safari Joe didn't even factor him in. The virtue of the small. Although Snarf never goes, ah, get away from him, you filth. Snarf, Snarf. <laughs> oh, God. It's getting to me. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong, Jerome? Snarf, snarf. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Jago is basically your Obi-Wan Kenobi, only turns up a lot more um, for Lionel. Um, he's a force ghost. He appears to be omnipresent, omniscient, uh, you know, eternally wise. He's everything we want a fairy godmother to be. And he has this incredible magic hand, which whenever he gestures to the side to say, Lionel, you must think about this a little deeper, his hand grows fucking immense. And there's, you've got to know, folks, when you're animating, like when you're drawing a hand, like look at it and just go, that's massively disproportionate to the rest of his body. But then you go, oh, no, oh, fuck it. It's just for kids. No one's going to be talking about this on a podcast in 30 years time. He's basically sort of like the the spirit of old Thundera. That's another thing. He's a link to Lionel's past as well, mm. and all the fe- all the secrets of their race, yeah, like yeah. of their past. Because it seems like the the um, role of the head cleric. Oh wait, there. Sorry, I'm I'm jumping ahead to the two thousand. No, no, go go to the him as well. He's also the link between like the actual history of the Thundercats in fact the entire planet and. Um, Mumra, like, it's the job of the head cleric, at least in 2011 version, to retain the knowledge of the past and what, in case such terrible things happened like they do at the beginning of 2011, to uh, impart that knowledge upon the king yeah. so they can find the artifacts to help them cull the force that is mum yeah, the knowledge keeper yeah so it's it's, it's kind of just a more uh, focused role for Jaga um, mm. I, I do feel that they muted him way too much and just took him the hell out of the show in uh, 2011 and uh, his presence isn't really felt it has to be sort of felt through his influence and the fact that Shitara is there as well what I expected for them when they when uh, Mama traps in the mountain like I expected like this will be like this is the person that was captured and they want to get back. Mm. Like, I thought it would be throughout the series, like, we've got to get, he'd got hold to on to him, like, yeah. Look who I am. And that got. would be, and that would be Tatara's main, like, focus. Yeah. Like, that's with how Mamra would uh, antagonize her with the fact that he's still got Jordan. It feels like they would have brought him back at some point eventually. Like, that was, it was too, mm. there was no, like, big, dramatic, definite death scene. So uh, yeah. they were going to keep him around. Also, it's Corey Burton, who's a major uh, voiceover artist. You don't get him in for no reason. But then again, you know, they got him Clancy Brown and then stuck him through a portal. Um, 
And it's worth mentioning Claudus at this point. He was uh, Lionel's father, played in the 2011 version by Larry Kenny, the original Lionel, which is so perfect. Yeah. It almost feels like he is, in fact, the old Lionel. Um, he's, he's barely characterized. He's basically Odin, but a bit less cruel and less mm. manipulative. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's great to see him. And the fact that he's, he's, he gets fridged, would you say, Sharon? Like, his death is what motivates Lionel through the whole thing. And politically, it, it, you know, it destroys everything and they have to rebuild it is, but I, I do. One of the things that I really like about this uh, this series is the sense of the loop. Um, and as you said, that's some Battlestar Galactica shit right there. But the idea that um, that you have this uh, remnant of what you remember the Thundercats being, and as we've said about the in the earlier shows, you didn't see it this way when you were a kid. But they were arrogant, and they were you know building this pointless monument despite the fact that there were only seven of them and um you know basically going around the four corners of third earth going and we'll have this bit and this bit and we'll have that bit do you have a thundercats flag indeed do you have an eye of thunder you don't oh well in that case Um, but the 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 feeling um that that you get about the cats in um in the 2011 version is that they have basically built a rod for their own backs because they are this um overly arrogant species the people the other peoples of thundera don't really want to help them very much um and i think that having you know the clerics that have got all this memory of of the way things were um there is very much this sense of we we have to remember the past or we're doomed to repeat it and the the flashbacks to the uh the really old stuff kind of echoes that but never quite elaborated on it enough to to kind of bring it full circle oh it's, it's worth mentioning that claudus uh was uh, did feature in one episode of uh maybe a couple more than one but he was in the return to thundera in the original show Lionel goes back to thundera briefly to get access to uh how to destroy one of the mutant super weapons and meets his father, but his father is blind. So he, and you know, of course, he doesn't know that his twenty-year-old son is back there. And there's a kind of a sad, sweet moment between them, which you know, obviously stuck with me as a kid. And so, yeah, it was nice to see Claudius back, but then he gets taken away. But fortunately, he comes back for some flashbacks in 2011, because in 2011 and onwards, we have flashbacks in our cartoons. It's really, really good for building character, which is kind of important. Let me show you what it's capable of in the proper hands. Uh-oh. Catch! The book told that it was the Thundercats, our ancestors, who first defeated Mumra. It was the Thundercats who brought law and order to a world of warring animals. And it is now the Thundercats who are strong enough to maintain this fragile peace. These were days of peace and prosperity on Third Earth, when one empire stood above all others, ruling with a just heart and razor claw. And though omens foretold in the book would be ignored, the tragedy to come was necessary, for it was written that he would be born of fire, 
a king to lead his people to victory against ancient spirits of evil. I only ask that you fight like cats for our ancestors, for the pride! How quickly things change for the cats. Lord of the Thundercats, go. I can't do this alone. You won't have to. I have always feared has arrived. Thunder through the death! Thunder! Thundercats! Speaking of flashbacks, which sometimes don't build character, and in fact just confuse. Mumra! <laughs> One of the greatest villains of all time, just in terms of iconic and memorable, despite not really achieving all that much ever in 1985. <laughs> Did he ever win for longer than 20 minutes? I can't, it's, I can't think of a single time when he wasn't foiled by the end. There were even times when, in fact, he gets banished to um, like a, a nether realm dimension. It's like, we finally defeated Mumra. And by the end of the episode, he's still back. Or like the, the next episode, he comes straight back again. <laughs> it's like the, the last ever episode, he gets banished to a different nether world. And it's like, we've definitely gotten rid of Mumra forever. It's like, you said that last week. <laughs> and you'll say it again next And when he week. comes back, his plan is exactly the same to destroy the Thundercats, and he gets so many opportunities. This is another one of those tropes. He gets so many opportunities, he's got them right there. Just kill them. Just take the Sword of Omens, it's right there. Or, you know, blah, 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 blah. It will not respond to the evil touch. Something about his music, the decor, the, um, the constant plotting, the animation, the transformation scene. Remember, back in the 80s, transformation scenes were a huge deal, and they happened pretty much, you know, shot for shot, frame for frame, sound for sound, each week. And when you watch multiple episodes in a row, it really starts to mount up on you, because you've got the transformation in the intro sequence, then the transformation in the actual show, like He-Man. Like, he's only just called by the power of Grayskull, and then two minutes into the episode, he does the power of Grayskull again. And you've just seen it in the intro sequence. You're like, we liked this when we were kids? you got to love stock footage, my friend. Yeah. And that's, I mean, stock footage was a really great way to fill up a good five minutes of every episode of Thundercats. Yeah. Like, when, whenever Lionel would call for help at the end, because that's what his secret power is, by the way, folks, he uses the Sword of Omens to send a, <laughs> a bat signal spotlight into the sky... And it goes, and the Thundercats all look up from the Jenga that they're playing or the pit that they're halfway down, and then they all come running. And But basically, it starts like a, a cycle of Thundercats music, because once that goes, it goes, and then by the end of that, they've saved the day. 
So they literally come and save the day in the exact same time space every week. And that's Lionel's power to call the other guys to come and back him up. And, like, it'll always be a wrestle of, I've got to do this on my own, snarf. And then eventually, either he does call for help, because that's what you're supposed to do, or he doesn't call for help, because morally speaking this week, that's what you're supposed to do. (sighs) It kind of goes back and forth sometimes. But yeah, Mumwell would transform, and that was hypnotic when I was a kid. I I don't know, I had dreams about Mumwell that terrified me in in a thrilling way. So uh, he was perfectly pitched for my age group to, to really you know, stick in the mind. And the fact that the voice actor went really over the top with everything, like his plotting, like he was basically Palpatine when he was plotting. And then when he was screaming with, when he was actually transformed, he was incredibly memorable. But as an adult, you look at him and you're like, you're rubbish at everything. <laughs> He's always gloating. He's always talking about how much of a badass he is. And then he gets beaten in the most pathetic, easy way possible. Like at one point, like Lionel shows him his own reflection and then doesn't bank that one for later. Like the moment he next sees Mum, where doesn't just go like, Mirror, there we go. Right, now I'm going to go because you've just run off in fright again. Um, your, you see, yeah, your thoughts on the original Mumra? Mumra's flaw is that he's an 80s villain. <laughs> <laughs> so he couldn't where he's never allowed to learn anything about his failures yet has the ultimate confidence in himself yeah. yet has no trust in his minions but keeps using them for the 130th episode when Lionel's about to wrestle him he should have gone you know Mumra we've gone at this 129 times before what <laughs> makes you think you're going to win this time um the ancient spirits of evil? <laughs> no. Yeah, it's a crapshoot here. What I, I, I've, I've worked with what I've got. Because apart from that, like he's legitimately like when you're like he's legitimately sinister and frightening. Yeah. He's got those like spit trails in his mouth when he goes ah. He's a corpse. Yeah. That's the other thing. He's a That's corpse. A giant, muscular, angry, flying wizard corpse with glowing red eyes and then we're like when he sort of fl- like the, the sort of the ancient spirits of evil it gathers itself up and then goes because like the up until that point the music's just been sort of like building with the gong going left and right and then when it rises up and oh yeah it's gonna happen it's like a roller coaster and then it's a it's the closest you got to an orgasm at the age of seven frankly (laughs) (laughs) to let you in a little too much of myself but Soundbite people, cut that out and use it wherever you yeah, like. Yeah, you can use that. Um, but yeah, that when Mumwa transformed, it was it was a catharsis. How about that? And um, then when he actually find, he'd fly out and it looked terrifying. And he was much much bigger than Lino, and he'd be so confident that he was going to win that you, as a kid, believed him. It's just as an adult, you're like, wow, you're like the mummy from the Mummy, but you don't even have the smooth confidence of Arnold Vosloo. <laughs> Or the bees. <laughs> <laughs> but compare that with new Mumra. What do you guys think of this guy? 
Ace. Nah. <laughs> Jerome? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, I do like his new design. Like, they, they still managed to capture this living corpse walking around, hulking out, sort of. He is kind of like a giant dead hulk. I, I have to say, um, the constant line of ancient spirits, like, that whole rhetoric, it loses its power each time he does yeah. it. Like, each time you hear it, now as an adult, it just sort of... You, really? You don't have a short way of doing this? Like, you can shoot lasers from your hands... You have to ask these guys for this every single time. Ancient spirits of evil again. Now, I I think I've worked out the confusing thing about Mumra. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mumra is himself. He's an eternal servant of the ancient spirits. Yeah. He's like below them, but he's an evil spirit himself. So I think he's an evil spirit that's been sent out into the world to conquer the universe for them. <laughs> Easy. And yeah. he's failing miserably. He can't even <laughs> conquer America. Well, he started off good, all right, you know. He had this massive ship um, with a f- enslaved a whole bunch of races of people. Oh, this is don't the, know where they Yeah, came. this is the 2011 Mumra. Yeah. yeah, so he managed to enslave... Like, where do you start? Like, I want to see how he started. Like, how did he enslave all these species? For managed to build this massive, magically powered yet technologically run ship with all the races on. Somehow managed to destroy a galaxy, turn it into a sword. Um, discovered these power gems that would somehow make him more powerful, even though he already has a way to destroy galaxies, and that's not enough for him. We don't see this happen, um, by the way. I think you get told this. No, you see him. Oh, yeah? You see the... It's um, it's in one of the flashbacks. Like, uh, one of the things is uh, Leo's ancestor. Lionel. No, Lionel's ancestor. Lionel's Leo. ancestor, Leo. Like, originally, he was, like, staunchly... Uh, the cats were known for being staunchly loyal to Mumra, mm. and he was his second in command because, like, he had this weird sort of twisted view of Mumra where he's just like, he's someone who's after what he's after, and he's willing to. He he didn't think Mumra would go so far. Like, he doesn't do things needlessly; he only does necessary things. But so the cats, the destruction. So the cats are like white supremacists, and Mumra's Voldemort. Cut. Kind, kind of. No, I wouldn't put it as strong as that. Um, but yeah, um, and the destruction of a uh, galaxy, um, like, Lino, uh, sorry, Leo literally says to Mumra, I found a son just as powerful, but without an intelligent life. If we use that for the sword, it would just be as powerful, but uh, you wouldn't be wasting these planets. All and right. Mumra says, no, yeah. like... That that's that's a sign of your race's weakness. Sometimes you have to stick with a plan. Like the fact that he destroys an entire galaxy makes him, um, like changes his view. Like Mumra is actually just a m- megalomaniacal tyrant. Yeah, and that's what kicks off the whole uh, rebellion. So Mumra is just he's a Megatron essentially yeah. who mad with power and seeking more. Who, and I think he is just literally immortal. Yeah. But another one of the, uh, the, the, the problems is 
that he never really makes his mark as a villain. He's scheming. He clearly wants power. But the 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 delivery on the the speaking is far more like this. But he never gets the kind of manic um, tone to his voice. He, he uh, they could have made him. Uh, you know, far more kind of, you know, m- m- like a little bit quirky, a little bit more insidious, a little bit more fun. That's the other thing. Mm. Original Mumra is fun on a bun. And even if he's uh, uh, scary, especially once Marmot comes along, I love you too, Marmot, but we need to do something about your breath. That actually happened, folks. He loves his bulldog who has bad breath. And this is a corpse telling him that the, his corpse dog... <laughs> Has bad breath. <laughs> I'm in lunatic land at this stage. <laughs> Not literally. The lunatics came off. I oh, forget it. Um, <laughs> uh, the the lunatics, I believe. Ancient spirits of evil transform this mangy mongrel into Marmot the Fly. That wasn't too bad, was it? Now, go buzz around the great beneath and see what you can find out about Skrulus, this so-called expert on all things gyroscopic. But, but yeah, the new Mumra isn't at all fun. He's he's just kind of like a uh, scheming, and I'm going to do this and stab this person in the back. Um, but he doesn't have like, okay, right? Why didn't Mark Hamill do his voice for a start? I mean, obviously Mark Hamill, you know, was busy, but uh, Steve Bloom, someone who was really going to get his teeth into him. You cannot comprehend the forces you are dealing with, ancient spirits of evil. Transform this decayed form into Mamra, the Ever! Another thing, like, I've, I just realized, like, he's not in it that much. No. Like, for a whole bunch of episodes, he's just gone. Yeah. And he only, like, peeps up, like, near the beginning of the series and near the end of the series. He's voiced by Robert Atkin Downs, uh, who uh, uh, he was uh, Deathstroke in Beware the Batman, which is pretty good. Steam Lantern in the Green Lantern animated series. Uh, Baron Zemo in Earth's Mightiest Heroes. He's a serviceable voice actor, but I don't know whose decision it was to basically make Mumra much more subdued. But that was, again, a really bad idea. Like, if they'd gone over the top with it and kids, modern day kids, had gone, he's a bit over the top. Adults would have gone, yeah, this is Mumra. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Yes. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, frankly, also, kids can take over the top as well. Kids like over the top. Um, they remember over the top. There was a creeping terror behind uh, Ray Fine's performance as Voldemort, but there were moments like, I can you now boy when he really went over it and look at me Harry I want to see the light leave your eyes he shouted at times and obviously this Mumra does occasionally shout but it always tends to be kind of 
not really directly at anybody. He never really gets angry about things and seems to feel personally about stuff. It's always just like on the road to completing his plan. And that I think he of anything of everything, Mumra is the greatest casualty of the 2011 TV series because they failed to make him to give him a mark on the modern day audiences. Because you you ask kids, what do you think of Mumra? They'll be like, yeah. Do you know about Thundercats? I think I saw Thundercats sometime. I think part of the problem is they've missed what made Mumra scary. Mm. Um, and it's to do with the transformation because in the 2011 version, he spends way too much time as big Medusa Mumra with the snakes intertwined. Yeah, just lumbering around like um, Thanos. Exactly. Yeah. He, you see him doing stuff in his big Mumra outfit, and that's not what it's for. Yeah. It's there to be imposing to and formal. threatening, yeah. and yeah. That's basically what should personify that version of Mumra. If he just wants to be doing everyday stuff, you want him small and wrapped in bandages and looking, um, if not vulnerable, then at least like there could be a weakness in there somewhere. Yeah. Well, I mean, if nothing else, look to Palpatine. Look to the uh, the Jedi version of Palpatine, not the no, no version of Palpatine. Um, yeah. It's it, treason it then. <laughs> It never gets across like this is like him turning into this massive original form is a big deal. Like it see in this series, it seems like he can do it whenever he wants. Yeah. Why? Why isn't he always like that? Whereas before, it's like it takes a lot out of him. Like this is only for emergencies. Like only, only I can't maintain it. The original transformation is a horror transformation. It's like someone turning into a werewolf. The new version is a Super Saiyan Dragon Ball Z putting on massive body armor type. And now give me the power of a thousand Mumras. And then it's it's like a superhero thing or a supervillain thing as opposed to a horrific creature. Yeah, it just doesn't get the, across the fact that he's trying to get back to this form. Yeah. If you uh, in the comics, they actually went all the way back, and uh, I think the Thundercats go back in time at one point. This is uh, this, uh, uh, they they meet like a, the Pharaoh's wizard, who's basically Emotep, and it's um, uh, a man, but with scary ass Mumra eyes. So you can tie that together with the fact that this man died eventually, probably was buried with a bunch of scarabs, and his corpse has rotted for millennia between then and now. But he could still turn into Mumra back in the day. So the idea is he's he's moving this sort of decaying old bones around that he can, you know, for brief moments. And that's another thing to make it brief moments, to make him vulnerable. That, that, that makes him a really great villain. The idea that if he's constantly scared of his own mortality, that's what you can work on. You know, he's, he's always like the, the ever living. But if, if the idea is he may be ever living, but he's still got to bow to the laws of physics, his body is yeah. wasting away. What he means is that my soul is trapped in these bones. And that's terrifying. They had the chance to actually characterize Mumra. Failed to capitalize on it. And it got I don't I don't know if capitalizing if if making him a fantastic character would have prevented that. I don't know. I, I feel I feel that um Mumra's uh, character development development got so caught up with them trying to like explain the 
their new version of the backstory of the Thundercats yeah. and like the big overarching thing that developing Kim as a character got lost in that. But that's the thing. He's a big muscular space alien on a space station talking to a guy on a console going, right. And he's got like these like protruding lower teeth, like a bulldog going and, uh, and, and, and how shall we oppress these races today? And that's, but it's that, takes away any sense of fear you might have of Mumra. You want to be no longer scared of Mumra? Watch the 2011 version because it normalizes him. It normalizes his monster form and it makes him less of a supernatural being and more of just a um, just a, a muscular alien. Um, this is all tied up with the toys as well. The, the reason it got cancelled. Uh, I don't know. I don't I know that Bandai are hideously unreliable when it comes to toys. Um, they messed up the first range of uh, Last Airbender figures to the point where um, those guys said, okay, yeah, no more toys. And I'm amazed that they managed to make their way through to, to actual proper conclusion at the end of a third series there. Um, the original toys were like way too big. If, if people remember uh, collecting them, they were way bigger than Masters of the Universe. They were way bigger than Ninja Turtles. And they all had like action features, which basically meant made for complicated like like spinny hand movements with a little lever on their backs, which meant that they had to have big chests to get the spring action in there, which meant that they they were they were huge they were almost dolls, but they were all in the same scale, and they bought out one of each character and they made sure that they were always on shelves and they sold really well and they tied them in with the cartoon and they kept them going and they introduced new characters as it went along as they were introduced in the series and basically what a toy line is supposed to do not as numerous as masters of the universe but definitely a serviceable line 2011 thundercats multiple different scales multiple different um iterations so you got like three different sizes of mumra and that's Death. Some characters came out in, in one scale. Some characters came out in another scale. You've got the small, like three seven, three point seven five inch uh, for um, uh, for Hasbro uh, Star Wars sized. Then you've got the slightly bigger ones for people who want to get like your six inch Marvel Legends style, but they're still not quite that big. Then you've got the bigger ones than that. Then you've got the classics ones where they released Lino and Tigra. Um, you know. For, sort of based on their original style and then you've got a different version of the classics ones in a slightly different scale all of these different scales and it all went all over the place I I feel like if they'd just gone this is Lino this is Tigra this is Shitara Chitara this is Panthro this is Mumra this is Small Mumra <laughs> you know just like one of each made them really good figures instead they're kind of disposable toy box figures it sounds like they tried to capitalize too much on the history of the, the Thundercats. Like, instead of just doing the flat rate, like this is our initial run, yeah. more might come. They tried to do it all at once. Yeah. How? Where were they placed in terms of time frame? Oh, as in like they st- they got them out on shelves for the June release of the 2011 Thundercats, and they stuck they right. sat there for a year. Didn't sell all that yeah. fantastically, and then during the hiatus, I think which probably would have taken place over Christmas, they probably didn't make the sales that they wanted to. Um, the same shit happened with the Green Lantern animated series. The movie figures didn't sell well enough, and they're like, "Right, well, cancel that animated show." Would you not consider doing figures from the animated show? People might really, really want them, and you could make them really beautifully stylized so that you're actually holding characters from the show. No. Movie or nothing. Buy dead. So 
that these are reasons to cancel really great shows. Just if if I was offered a Bandai contract, I would say, "Have you maybe got Mattel?" Because <laughs> Mattel interested. <laughs> because um, because damn, you know Hasbro also would be would be second, but uh, but Bandai. Uh, yeah, they're a massive, massive company, but for some reason they don't seem to be able to tie in stuff that really works well um, and, and produces beautiful figures. I mean, there, there are plenty of beautiful Bandai figures, but for some reason the Thundercats ones, they look like the kind of things that, like I said, that you fish out of your toy box and all the accessories are gone. You're like, oh, this is now useless. And they're just for play, not because they actually look like these fantastically rendered characters. And... There are more than there is more than one master you can serve with that, and ultimately, I, th- I think a better to- toy line would would have uh, brought in um, collectors who uh, loved them the first time round, uh, and you know, make them good enough, and collectors will you'll buy them in droves. But the the multiple different scales not going to help collectors, and it's not going to help our aunts and uncles going right. I've, I'm in Toys R Us right now. I'm holding a Tigra. And I'm, does he have Tigra? And then it's like, yep, no, he hasn't got Tigra. Bring him Tigra. And then he gets Tigra, brings it home, and Tigra towers over all the other Thundercats. <laughs> yeah. That's a bad idea because you've got to make it accessible from aunts and uncles. Now, obviously, Star Wars can get by, but Star Wars is an unkillable license. Thundercats, it was a tenuous license. They needed to play it safer. They needed to make better decisions in that regard. Were they, and I don't want to pursue this too much, but um, were they possibly getting too tied up in what the reissue Masters of the Universe stuff was doing? But you, you mean classics? Yeah. No. The 2002 version of He-Man sold terribly. Well, it, it, it's, they ended up with loads and loads of variant He-Mans just sat on pegs warming them, and eventually the line got cancelled after only um, 18 months. If oh. they were trying to do that, they succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the classics line they are only now doing which like they've they've just released pics of the of uh, Lino and Jackalman this year's Comic Con they look fucking gorgeous but that's a completely different market that's that's adult men and a couple of very cool women who will happily pay twenty eight dollars plus ten dollars shipping for the best version of Lino ever mm. uh, and and that's a completely different market that's a that, that's a we're gonna make a thousand of these. Ever, because yeah. I th- I think that the idea of them them doing multiple cheap uh, variants that seems like they're going after kind of the Pokemon obsessive types. Well, no, because it wasn't really variants with the Thundercats. It was just like here's your basic Lino in three seven five inch. Here's him in four inch. Here's him in six inch, and it's all the same Lino from the twenty eleven show. Mm. But you know, if it wasn't like here's firefighter Lino, here's rocket pack Lino, here's water wars Lino, they didn't even get to that stage. That's when you get to your third and fourth wave, well, second and third waves these days. But it's you know, I, I work for uh, Action Figure Resource, so I, I, and it just happens to have been one of my uh, um, hobbies and interests for most of my adult life is is action figures, even though I don't really have the budget to collect them. The Thundercats figures did come out over here. And I, I did stare at them, and I thought, really, these are not figures I want to keep. They, they look like a child's plaything. And ultimately, if 
neither children nor adults are inspired by your line, it's going to fail. And it doesn't matter how good the animated show is. It doesn't matter how great they made Mumra. Although if they had made Mumra fantastic, I probably would have bought a Mumra. Anyway, that's just toys and that's toy politics. And that's a reason why other shows that you love will be canceled in the future, folks. Some more uh, characters to uh, round off before we go. Uh, Slythe, he's a big, ang- you know, big grumpy lizard, leader of the mutants. That's back when mutants were bad. Then a few years later, mutants were good because of the Ninja Turtles. And then in the New Avengers of He-Man, mutants were bad again. <laughs> well, they, they're just called lizard men. This aren't. Oh yeah, they, they were reptilians before. But yeah, no, you're right. There's there's a really good bit in the first episode where there's some. Uh, reptilians or lizard men in the stocks and Lionel says no don't humiliate these guys let them go and um, they say what you know why would you show that kind of mercy these guys are our enemies and it's like Lionel's point is it's not for them it's for us it's what we do to our enemies when we have them as as captives Uh, which is a really nice uh, you know moment for him because one of the big things is like as we mentioned, like all the other race, the cats have like lauded their power over all the other races, and particularly the lizard men. Like, um, and with slaves, it seems like obviously he's grown up with this worldview, and he he doesn't get much uh, character development until like later on when they introduce the other two yeah. generals. Yeah. So for the most part, he just seems like this is the lizard guy in charge until like you get a sense of. He's harbored this grudge and he's willing to stick with Mumra just to get revenge, it seems. Yeah. The original Slythe and all the mutants, in fact, they, they fell prey to the bumbling routine, as in, like, if you make your uh, villains incompetent, which they did, like, they'll, they'll have schemes which will seem to work for a few seconds and then they'll backfire on them and the mutants will run for the hills. Um, and also making them cowards, that's another thing. It, it kind of sets your heroes up to have their teeth blunted. It makes them less awesome because they've got less to overcome. And Slide was the smartest of the mutants, and he wasn't all that smart. Yeah. But he would often see weaknesses where the other two wouldn't. Uh, but the, yeah, the new version is, is not a million miles off, but he's more no, reserved. He, yeah, he's, you can tell like he's actually... He is a general, like he's used to leading leading his forces. Yeah. How effectively, you're not quite sure, but he is, he's used to leading yeah. large people. Jackalman and Monkey and in the original shows were bumbling boobs. You know, they would cackle and, and monkey laugh to them. <laughs> um, again, they, they, were, they were called, named after their own races, but you were never in any doubt that they were the same two guys every every week. We won't need you for this. My reptilians and I can handle it. <laughs> so that you can possess the Eye of Thundella for yourself, Slive? No way! Why don't we decide which of us will possess the Eye after we possess it? But have it your way. <laughs> we will, Slive. And we don't need your permission. Monkey in specifically was a bully and a coward. There's a, uh, you know, there's actually quite a scary episode at the beginning of uh, Slaves of Castle Plunder, like the fifth episode ever, when um, they Wily Cat and Kit drop a coconut on his head, and then he sees them in the trees and chases them. And as a kid, you're like, wow, he's gonna 
like he whips out a morning star and is well intent on killing them with it. Mm. So they got around the um, the mothers against all kinds of violence quite well, but with a certain amount of uh, implied threat. But he becomes less scary as uh, time goes on, and you see how um, uh, you know much of an idiot he is. And in the new version, Jackal Man's like a psychopath. Yeah, he's, like, he's locked up and- in super jail. <laughs> Jackalman is an unhinged lunatic who kills for the joy of it. Mm. Like, literal sadist and uh, Monkey Man is like... Monkey Man. (laughs) His name's actually... um, And this was awesome. Uh, When he's introduced, he's being um, tried to be dropped off of a skyhold by um, a bird who mocks him. And his name is Atticus. Atticus? (laughs) To kill a mockingbird? (laughs) Uh, he, he then eventually, I think he eats the bird. It's it's implied yeah, like, off screen. <laughs> and like he's uh, the crap. It is mon. What is it? Monkeyan. Monkeyan. Like he is a. He's known. He's like a barbarian. He will eat it, other creatures. Yeah. As implied, like right after, like their introduction scenes, like are the most sinister. One one of the most sinister things of the series because literally. One of them, it's implied where he eats his executioners, and the other one spends hours just beating um, his jailers <laughs> for fun. Not because he hates them or anything, just this is what he gets his kicks out of. So, yeah, watch these episodes before you show your little kids, folks. <laughs> yeah. Just in case. Um, you do also get to see Vulture Man, who was like an extra mutant that they were like, oh, yeah, and Vulture Man was there all along in, in the first season I think they kind of added him around about episode 10 or 11 or halfway through or something um, and he's like a, a scientist who's also even more cowardly than the rest of them kind of more conniving more like Slive but he had this annoying ah! bird voice and he had a body that didn't make any sense it's just a bloke with a vulture's head <laughs> at least monkey and seemed like a giant shaggy humanoid you know more humanoid monkey and Jackal Man had kind of a muscularity to him, but Vulture Man was a flightless, weird bird. But in the new version, he's played by Michael McKean of Spinal Tap, and is this kind of Lando type that you're like, he owns Cloud City. Is he going to betray them? Or more specifically, when is he going to betray them? And he's got this kind of superior-sounding voice, um, yes. which is compl- you know a complete upgrade. And I really wish they'd been able to continue to develop all three of these guys, all four of these guys, because... Um, they were already on a roll of making them distinctly more threatening than their original versions. Yeah, because essentially he would have been the cunning one in their dynamic. Mm. You've got the savage, the lunatic, the general, and the cunning one. Yeah. Cunning politician. He literally says, I'm a politician. I'm a politician. Yeah. Um, there's a point like Tiger challenges him to an air race and he's like right okay so you've never flown in one of these things and you're going to fly the inventor of one of these things in a race he races every day and somehow Tiger still wins and it's like oh for fuck's sake that's, that's just how cool Tiger is that's like James yeah. Bond in Never Say Never Again challenges the, the creator of a video game to a contest where it electrocutes you if you lose and he still wins I think, he, yeah, I think, I think he, he just about holds his own. They explained away with, oh, it's your tiger genetics. <sighs> <laughs> what, your tiger genetics that mean that you can fly? Yeah. <laughs> That's an awesome tiger. Um, 
There's also uh, Pumira, who is like a pacifist, gentle female character in the original series who failed to make her mark. Uh, but in this, she's a pit fighter. She's a gladiator. And she's introduced way late in the series, like two-thirds of the way through. And she's angry, and um, she, she ends up fighting Lino. Lino fights and, and frees her. And they have a sort of a tense, slowly burgeoning relationship and again, this I think was maybe the uh, another really undeveloped, um, or, or they missed a trick with this one. And had they known that they weren't gonna um, continue, I'm not sure if they would have pulled this one after Vulture Man's betrayal at Cloud City. And it is Cloud City. Let's make make no bones about it. They're setting up the Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Pumira, who's been helping the Thundercats up until that point, then gets the friggin' evil eyes and goes over and gives the Sword of Omens or, or, or a jewel, or I can't remember what it was, to Mumra. And it turns out she's been his pawn all the time. She's been his agent, his mole um, the whole time. And she's unrepentantly evil and hates the Thundercats. And then you get a flashback of her trapped under masonry in the first episode, so second episode, calling out to them as they walk away from the city that's been destroyed. And they, they never see her and never hear her. And she dies, and Monroe brings her back to life, and she serves him. Now, here's the thing. She's your Zuko. All they needed at this point was she gives him Monroe the thing, but then you can see on her face, she's trying to push sort of like an eye. This is what I want to Lino, but just a little bit of misgiving, just a little bit of what am I doing? Just something. And as they're flying away, she sneers back at him as opposed to being torn up inside over what she's just done. It's the difference between turning a complex character into a really disappointingly shallow one to turning a complex character into an even more complex character. And I'm sure that's probably where they were going to go with season two, have her turn around again. And she, you know, yeah. basically when Lionel won't give up on her, but they never got the chance. And so that end is really weirdly frustrating. That's a big reveal. That's a big, huge deal. But at the same time, I kind of like, folks, it's worth spoiling because no one's going to see this series unless we talk about its, uh, its deeper aspects. And ultimately, we missed that trick with uh, Green Lantern. And I kind of want to go back and do another Green Lantern show where we talk I about just totally be up to that. Uh, me too, yeah. We just need to sit down and watch all 26 episodes, which is so easy when you're a parent and you never get any time to yourself. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, in the original, Pumara also had Linkso, who makes a very brief appearance at the beginning, like as a blind guard. There's a crazy bit in the original series where Linkso, who is blind, when the Thundercat symbol goes up in the sky at one point, all the other Thundercat's eyes flash. Linkso's ears flash. That to make no goddamn sense. (laughs) No, it does not. Unless that's just a symbolic flash, I, I don't. Maybe the only uh, other Thundercat who never actually gets to be re- uh, to reappear is uh, Bengali, who was just there to sort of like to edge out Tigra. It would appear in the second series. 
he, he's kind of a go nowhere character in the original. Like, you know, he gets introduced and then it's like, right, Bengali, come with us because tigers are awesome. <laughs> he's a white tiger. Yeah, there's the Robert Burbles we mentioned before. They are literally droid Ewoks. They are yep. annoying in the first one, especially because of the way they talk. Summon this inflamer. Let fire become white. Let fire become star bright. Let the inflamer come forth. Nothing. You sure this is where the inflamer lives, Rober Bill? I am certain. And in in the uh, 2011 version, they're actually kind of endearing. And I don't know why it is, but the the update giving them the little downturned teddy bear mouths is really awesome as a design choice. And and also they've got much creepier looking hands, which again, them being ever so slightly creepy actually makes them better. They're less cute. You can believe Panther getting freaked out by them. I'll tell you what, you're messing with my baby. Panthera, wait! What are you furry freaks doing to my tank? Gotcha! Put me down. What Put is me that sound? Hill and Robert Burble. Did he say gerbil? Burble. Derbel? Burble. Herbal, derbilly, burble, herbal. Nice to meet you, Robert Bill. I'm Wild Kit, and this is Wild Cat. And we're Thundercats. Thundercats. Burbles. Help. Thundercats. Never seen anything so cute. Well, they'll be cute and dead if they hurt my tank. Looks like they fixed it, Panthro. <laughs> Just a patch. I could have done that. Mm. You can also believe their uh, technological skill a bit more if they're if they're slightly off kilter. Mm. And their purely robotic voice, like all of them sound the same. Like there's no reason for them to sound actually cute. Like it. Oh. It, it's that juxtaposition, like, this is a, like, droidish metal man voice that they're coming out with, whereas they're, they're still robot teddy bears. Yeah. Mm. They're not Ewoks in armour, or at least they shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of sort of recurring characters that seem to... Uh, well, one of them shows up, like, twice, maybe three times in the original series, but really made an impression on me, possibly because his figure was awesome, and I love samurai. It's Hachiman, who is a Japanese warrior stereotype. Oh, Lord Lionel, you must fight me in single combat! I think the only two times I remember him appearing, both times, an evil corpse with glowing red eyes convinces him that a beautiful red-headed 80s glam metal hair metal rocker with a, a, a like an excalibur style sword of absolute purity somehow is his enemy and he has to be fought and both times hachiman goes well everything seems to be in order i kind of love the fact that he's there but at the same time 
um, they really needed to develop that character. And if they brought him back for the 2011 series, that would have been kind of cool. But let's if face it, the watchword for the 85 series is underused. Underused and a little bit racist. Speaking of which, Snowman. I'm not even sure who... Is, is it Mongolians that Snowman is a little bit um, uh, racist? Sort of. I think so, yeah. yeah. He's like... Oh, Lord the Lionel is very similar. Like, oh, Snowmeow, take me to Lord the Lionel. Yeah, initially he has to fight Lionel and then they make friends and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, the he seems to be the only guy who lives on Hook Mountain, a completely desolate, hook-shaped mountain. And he only lives there to provide them with assistance when they have to go and tackle something on mm. Hook Mountain. He was in uh, both Snowman and Hatchyman and Rotaro, uh, sort of an evil villainous rat guy who also runs a mine, or that might have been Ratilla in um, 2011, uh, were all featured in Thundercats Ho! The Movie, which is basically the first five episodes of season two, uh, was strung together in video form in the UK, which is, by the way, the best way to see it, Mm -hmm. because you don't have to keep stopping, starting, stopping, starting with (laughs) the, uh, with this is what's going to happen in next episode, and here's the end credits, and now here's what happened in last episode, and the beginning credits, and a bit of a lead in. That's, it's huge (laughs) amounts of extra guff. And I don't know why there wasn't an ability to basically branch watch all of them on that one DVD, which they all contained. But basically, it was like this awesome Royal Rumble Avengers-style meeting of every important character that Thundercats had met in that first season. Um, Just sort of all got together over those five episodes to present obstacles to getting back the missing Thundarians who were turned up. And... um, you know, when they eventually got in, they were peasants, but they were uh, anointed as just genuine noble Thundercats, which was nice. <laughs> but that was literally the last and the latest of the Thundercat stuff we got in the UK, because after that, we never got to see them return to Thundera, and we never got to see how that happened. So when you return to it as an adult, it seems to be very much kind of riffing on a theme. Mumra's still trying to get them. There's this book of omens. There's lots of earthquakes. <laughs> And uh, and they meet some some new guys and the lunatics who are really annoying. And then there's Marmut, who's this dog who keeps turning up. That Mumra's sort of like it's almost like they were trying to make Mumra less scary by having Marmut yeah, be around bizarrely. all the time, you know? Because he's he at the same time it's kind of a complex relationship because he loves Marmut, but he's also cruel to him. Mm. There's an episode of Marmut's confusion where Marmut's allegiances are tested. Um. But ultimately, I think I probably would have preferred Marmot to be there in the 2011 version, if only it brought Mumra out of his shell a bit. Because basically- well, it seems like seems like they were going to like the. I know this is very little to go on, like, but from the way he spoke at the very end of the last episode mm-hmm. to Pumira, it's like it's like they're setting up a sort of a like most loyal servant like yeah. similar thing they had with uh Leo. Yeah. So she'd serve him for the next uh, season and then almost inevitably suffer a crisis of conscience. Or go through the whole betrayal thing. Again. Yeah. Cuz at that point she's his Vader. Yeah. But much much like how yeah, essentially Mumra was Palpatine and Leo was Vader. Yeah. But uh, in the original series, it was always very much everything was, you know, is is reset to zero forcibly by the uh, Thundercats' hoe, 
where Lionel would call for help. The Thundercats would turn up. They'd threaten the mutants. The mutants would run away. Mumra would retreat back into his ancient pyramid and hide in his sarcophagus. And Lionel would leave him there. And that would be it. They would, they, uh, at the like middle of uh, season two, they blow up Mamra's pyramid. He's not in it, but they're like, right, we're going to leave <laughs> Third Earth now. Before we go, clear. And then they blow the shit up. They blow it up to protect the rest of Third Earth, just to be done with Mamra. Ten seconds later, brand new pyramid arrives on New Thundera. It's like, what the hell was the point of that? And why didn't you blow up his pyra- pyramid ages ago? You had Wait. the tech, the explosives. Does the new pyramid look different from the old one? Yeah. Did they make a toy of it? Oh, speaking of which, I was watching a Masters of the Universe episode the other day, and Orko um, gives Man at Arms a giant musical box and says, he goes, where did you get the parts? And again, it starts to tick. And he says, I got them from that case over there. That's where we keep the bomb parts. Does Man at Arms make bombs? What does he use them for? It's a rhetorical question. Pro- but <laughs> I, I never saw anything or anyone getting blown up in He-Man. Um, okay, some questions. <laughs> Why does everyone have to be naked on Jaga's ship? In the first episode, they run onto the ship to escape from the exploding Thundera. Everyone but Jaga's naked. He- Look... Jock is going through a point in his life. He's become a naturalist. Uh, no, no. You know, he, he, it's like taking off your shoes in someone but else's house. But he's like house. a leotard. He's like, what? yes, everyone, everyone, I have to be able to see your bits. Yeah, well, he's special. Like, yeah. you don't get to see his junk. You get, he gets to see yours. I, I, I could be wrong, but basically, Chitara's walking around, tits out. <laughs> Everyone's got everything hanging out, except they're all wearing socks or shoes. <laughs> <laughs> to emphasize That's their nakedness. Reason. Yeah. It's like it's like a cult. It's like the only cult in the world where he it, you know the crazy old man gets everyone naked onto his spaceship and then they depart from the planet but he was right all along the planet does explode and it's not just a bomb that he's painted to look like a spaceship. Oh, maybe now maybe everyone must like- drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> Maybe, like, that's what nobles do. Like, he's trying to keep the nobles' uh, traditions alive. Yes. What? So, uh, like, like when he's on guys, Earth, why is everyone wearing leotards now? <laughs> You're an abomination to your race. Yes. Drink this the Kool Aid and get in your, and inverted commas, sleeping capsules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um,. And let's see. Um, we've actually addressed so many of these all, all the way. Why do they fight quite so many pirates? Like, <laughs> the lunatics are pirates. The uh, Captain Shiner's a mercenary, but basically a pirate. Captain Cracker's a pirate. And the Berserkers, Berserkers, Berserkers are pirates. Because pirate, pirates weren't pirates were <laughs> cool yet. Maybe, maybe, maybe the Thundercats made pirates cool. Yeah, I mean, like the berser- like Captain Hammerhand is proper pirate. He's he's like, every single one of them has got like this weird little vocal tick. Uh, there's one of them who's like this giant white guy who's voiced by the guy who played Panthro doing a Jamaican black man in a giant ginger white man's body. It's really weird. Oh, it's like white face, black face at the same time. But it's a black actor doing a black accent in a white body. So, yeah. 
Also in the second series, for no reason at all, Bernard Hoffer starts getting a little jazzy. <laughs> starts getting a little disco. I mean, it was always disco anyway, but there's saxophone creep. Like, Mumra, it starts going... <laughs> sax in with his with his appearances and at one point it became like a madrigal disco like it's a medieval disco at one point uh i i don't know why maybe bernard hoffer just got a bit bored and was like right we gotta jazz it up for this uh this new season um and also there's the thundercats drinking game which sharon and i tried until we started feeling really sick the other day yeah <laughs> So it's a good drinking game. Then. Yeah, every time um, there's a, an animation flub like um, the giant hand I mentioned earlier from Jaga, oh, take a shot. God, you're trying to poison yourself. Yep. Every time the 80s animation is notorious for that. Every time there's a euphemism for death, they don't actually say dead, but uh, they say destroyed. Or my favourite was today when I was watching the Tower of Traps. They find the, the the Baron, whatever his name is, this robber Baron, and it's a corpse sat on a chair like One-Eyed Willie, and it goes, Dah! and Wiley Kick goes, he's not alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not wrong. Also, unnecessary moralising, where someone will stop and like Tiger will say, my personal favourite line he's ever said. Rules are only meaningful if people agree to follow them. Hold up your finger in a waggy type way at this point. Otherwise, they're just words. Uh, type. Uh, we, we were talking about cooking. What, why, yeah. why are you, why are you important moralizing to that me? I tell you this stuff, Panthro. <laughs> Otherwise, you don't understand about rules. And. Uh, oh, I know about rules. They're, they're only important if everyone agrees to follow them. Well done, Wily Cat. You go straight <laughs> to the top of the class. Otherwise, they're just words. Um, also, missed opportunities. Anytime that Mumra has Thundercats or the mutants have the Thundercats or the other way around. The Thundercats have the mutants within their grasp and they don't do anything about it. They let them get away. Also, drink every time bollocks occurs. Every time something where it's like, that is just bollocks. I think by the end of it, wasn't I only drinking when bollocks happened and I still ended up feeling sick? Yeah. <laughs> um, or if you're watching the 2011 version, every time Lionel says whiskers, meaning it's a swear word, oh. but for some reason it's a swear word in, in, in Thundercatties. It's kind of silly, but fun. Um, and, and every time you feel compelled to shout, shut up, Wally Cat, uh, take a shot. You'll be sick by the end of the first episode. Um. All this stuff, you know, that we would take shots for at this stage, uh, all relates back to um, a, a violent kickback against violence from mothers uh, around about the early '80s. It's the reason why He-Man would uh, say at the end of every episode. In this episode, we learned never to cross the road without looking both ways. Or Teela would say, "In this episode, uh, we learned that sometimes our p- uh, parental figures come in unusual forms." And maybe you should tell them that you love them now and then. And Orko turning up and going, you know, maybe we shouldn't do drugs. And um, it's, it's the reason why, you know, now you know, and knowing is half the battle on G.I. Joe. Like, you know, there was no death in these in these cartoons. There was no violence of any kind. In G.I. Joe, they fired off colored lasers. Every time a plane got hit, the Cobras would bail out with um, parachutes. The Thundercats would trip over the mutants. There'd be swords everywhere, but no swords would actually clash. And in Ninja Turtles, they would only ever slice robots in half because the mothers were, were, were 
pushing back against the tide of violent kids TV. And I'm going to say, what violent kids TV? Because, folks, we're going to talk about how slowly these things move. What happened in the late 70s which caused this kickback? Because I can't think of fucking anything. Unless they're talking about Star Wars and the fact that a whole bunch of stormtroopers get shot in this U-rated film and Obi-Wan Kenobi gets, you know, disappeared. Um, This is, you know, excellent examples of fantasy violence for kids in a way that has an impact but does and, and actually has consequences, but at the same time doesn't really leave you thinking, those poor stormtroopers, what about their families? But what were these cartoons that the mothers were saying? No, you must pussify every one of these 80s cartoons. There must be no actual combat, no actual... You know, Lyra pointed out when we were watching the 2011 version, they said death there. I said yes, because we have great animated shows now that can deal with death. Right. This is really reaching, and I'm guessing the answer to this is a resounding no. Mm -hmm. But is it possible that on the back of slightly more adult-oriented animated movies, they were concerned about there being overspill into kids' TV? Example? I don't know. That's the problem. I mean, I'm thinking... There were no uh, animated movies apart from Ralph Bakshi. Basketball Jones did not get them to do this. Felix the Cat did not get them to do this. Sorry, Fritz. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Neither did the Lord of the Rings movie, which nobody saw. Okay. Um, It it wasn't people finally watched the Looney Tunes and realised... No, wait, that, that was originally for adults, wasn't it? Kind of. And also, they were brilliant. I mean, also kind of racist, <laughs> especially Tom and Jerry. Um, I have no idea because I like it, this whole kicking back against violence. It meant that until what? I'm trying to think of the first show where there was actual combat that you actually really felt the the impact of. Because even Samurai Jack, with this incredible combat, he's just destroying robots all the time. Avatar has this incredibly um, evocative combat, but it's all non-contact. What has? I'd have to get back to you. Yeah, I mean, okay, um, I mean, I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a list of animated shows of 1979, mm. and it's it, it's basically ranging between Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo yeah. and the Flintstones. Anna-Barbera ruled the roost. Yeah, um, and a load of Japanese stuff. Japanese stuff didn't get to America. Yeah, so it's not as if they went, oh my God, we can't possibly risk our children seeing this. It might be that some Japanese stuff got crudely uh, adapted and that some parents saw so like uh, a version of uh, Battle of the Planets or something. Folks, if you know about this, let us know. Um, and that they reacted horribly to like you know what the Japanese were doing, but ultimately the eighties was the toy boom when they released certain laws that basically forbade certain types of advertising, and um, because of He-Man, then GI Joe and Transformers and Thundercats and um, Rainbow Bright and Strawberry Shortcake and My Little Pony and She-Ra, they managed to basically unlock the idea that a cartoon would be filled with like adventure type stuff and then the kids would want to buy the toys and then the adverts for those toys would be playing in between and those would be tied in and all of that stuff happened in the 80s 
and it's it's the bread and butter of the industry right now. Both the uh, you know TV animated like if an animated show comes out and doesn't have a toy line, it's rare that it'll do well at all. I'm amazed that throughout its entire run, Korra never had one. I'm also kind of really sad because <laughs> imagine you know Mattel versions of those figures or. I mean, even like like Japanese, like Revoltech or, or uh, they, they could have just have done so many fantastic, um, you know, collector focused things. But I mean, like just like tying it in for kids, that's the, the line they have to walk all the time now. And it all stemmed from this idea that uh, it would be, you know, light entertainment for kids with nothing that was really all that um, violent at all. And the kids would learn a lesson. Okay. So to finish us off, best episodes, any that you guys care to name? Uh, Tigris or- Origin. Uh, Native Sun. Like, uh, yeah, Native Sun. Yep. That's definitely it's wonderful. wonderful. So um, we mentioned before the uh, Tiger, basically. Uh, we haven't mentioned, I think we could probably leave out um, the specifics of it, but he basically, he finds the uh, tribe he was connected with before and... Um, that, yeah, it's a, it's a really wonderful kind of emotional thing because this is basically when the 2011 Thundercats is going to sing for its supper, and we you you know we'll get across that after all of the yeah but things that happened before this. Um, these episodes we're about to name are bloody fantastic. Um, carry on, Jerome. Sorry, the first two part. Um, the first two episodes. Yeah, yeah. omens. Um, that's basically the inciting incident that gets them off uh, out of the uh, city of Thundera. There's actually like, this is a really great example of how they fail to capitalize on Mumra. He gets knocked out into the sunshine after the uh, combat. And um, he's still in his old wizard form. And he starts to say, you know, oh, you have tangled with the wrong Mumra at this point. And then the sun comes up and he goes, Oh no. And then he retreats, but no one was watching him or listening to him. Everyone was just carrying on which completely kills any sense of presence that he had. And it, it seems like it's an accident that no one was looking at him while he was saying, you've messed with the wrong Mumra or, or whatever he was actually saying that was entirely humorless and threatening. Um, but it's, it's, it's a great two-parter because you get a lot of build-up to the tragedy that, that happens and, and the, their civilization comes crashing down because of their hubris. They even start with a giant cat's lair type sphinx in the center of the city, a Minas Tirith type castle that uh, you're used to seeing be able to hold strong that gets raised to the ground. And the other one that I really liked was Between Brothers. Yeah. That's another one I've got here. It's... um, uh, is that the one where Tiger and Lino are are, um, in in the portal and you find out about uh, their, their... animosity towards each other as a result of the the, the Chitara thing as well. Yeah. yeah. The Forest of Magi Ore, I want to mention here at this point, um, which is another kind of great mystery one, which kind of reminds me a little bit of um, the one with Jet in uh, Avatar. Yeah. They, they meet some um, uh, some people who, you know, like, oh, these, these people seem like quite awesome people and then um as it turns out there's a lot of ah but you uh didn't expect this to be the thing which is kind of more subtly handled than in um the original series there i mean there are some great episodes in the original series like the 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 opening one the opening um like first four or five episodes 
those are sort of a great grounding to start with. I, I would say everyone, it is worth getting season one, volume one. Like that's the first uh, 30 or so episodes. That is probably about as much Thundercats as you ever really need. It's, it's all kind of elaborating on that afterwards. But uh, it'll introduce you to all the core characters. There's not much characterization beyond those 30-odd episodes. Uh, if you've never seen it before, it will be incredibly cheesy. But you might get an idea of why people loved it back in the day. Uh, and if you had it back in the day, it's if you haven't already got it now, I'm kind of amazed, but it's time to revel in that particular uh, nostalgia in that regard. Uh, yeah, I'm not 100% nostalgic. I can very much see to a point where I, I like to be able to move forwards as well. That's why I love the 2011. Uh, but there, there's always going to be like little sense memory things with the sounds and the, the uh, images, which always just sort of bring me back to a, a more innocent time. The Pit is another fantastic one from the uh, 2011 version. That's when we first meet Pumira and they're in a gladiatorial combat arena. And you get to meet these, like, Doberman-type thunder dogs. The Duelist and the Drifter, Sharon? Yeah. It's one of your favourites. Uh, I yeah. love that one, yeah. The, uh, the, the central character in that is kind of... He forms kind of the moral centre for me of the, the whole season because he's this... Um, incredible warrior yet massively pacifist um and very very much of the be aware of what's around you which is kind of the antithesis of of what lion is at this particular point mm. um and this is this is a great example of how you make the lesson the story rather than telling the story and then have Tiger recount the lesson at the end. <laughs> they, they didn't quite do that quite as much as He-Man where they would literally spell it out for you. But yeah. they, they, they would um, still you know, just, they would, they would go over it once more just to make sure in the original. Everybody got that. Everybody got that. Take yeah. your notes. Yes. <laughs> but in the, in the Duelist and the Drifter, uh, uh, Lionel goes to Sword Town where uh, everyone, you know, all the swordsmen like to go and, and challenge each other. And um, he uh, meets the Drifter who used to make swords. But is, he basically, he flies on the wind. He's this really lazy kind of chilled out rabbit who's got this kind of, he's, he's almost like the jackalope from Bounding. Mm, yeah. And he's like, oh, hey, Lionel, how's it going? You know, you're going to challenge the, uh, the the duelist there, you know, the, the, the greatest swordsman in the town? You can if you want. I don't care. He's, he's, he seems uh, stoned half the time, really. Yeah, he? To, to be honest, he, he seems stoned. And the, the, the idea is that uh, Lionel goes in with all his arrogance, charges the greatest swordsman who's, you know, wears on his back a rack of all the incredible, beautiful swords he's taken from his defeated foes. And not because he needs to. He's already got what he needed and he's about to leave. But yeah. he can't let this small little minuscule insult go. Yeah. And then Lionel challenges him to a fight and then loses. And then the um, the duelist makes him a sword. Um, and then we get sort of the, the, the... Sorry, the drifter makes him a sword to uh, re-challenge him again when Lionel has now bet his life on this particular one. Think you could lend a hand, friend? Up here, I seem to have snagged myself again. What are you? Uh, who are you? Just a drifter, I suppose. (laughs) 
Thanks for the assist. Maybe you can return the favor. I'm looking for supplies. We'll find them somewhere else. This is a swordsman's town, stranger, and they duel for keeps. Leave before it's too late. Or don't, I don't care. I can handle myself all right. <laughs> this town loves guys like you, swaggering around with your fancy sword, thinking you can't lose. But you will. They all do. This is more than a fancy sword. It's the Sword of Omens, and with it, I never lose. Just like I said, take my advice and blow on out of here. Or don't. I don't care. It may record, it may not. I don't I care. I love the episode where uh, Chitara tries to um, join the clerics. Yes. Yeah. That's fantastic. Character development for um, Chitara and Tigra, and as I recall, Lionel's barely in it. Yeah. And it also shows, like, before. Chitara was actually quite impatient herself. Like, she had to learn to take a step back and actually not just run head headstrong into things. Mm. See, that, I think, is, is quite an important thing to put in children's shows. If, if you are trying to teach lessons here, that the adults or certainly the older people around you did not spring into this world fully formed with all of the skills and, and qualities that you admire in them they had to develop them once upon a time this calm patient person was quite hyped up and, and impatient about things this person who seems really uh, relaxed and, and able to tolerate um, insults and things like that at one point was quite a hothead and you know getting into fights all the time if everybody's just kind of perfectly as they are the whole way through, that's not showing you that people can change. Right. My favourite episode of Thundercats 2011 is one of the best single animated episodes of all time. It's reference quality. It's the one I always suggest people watch. It works beautifully well on its own. Uh, and it's called Song of the Petalars. Uh, it's worth the price of the Blu-ray just for that. I, I don't want to big it up too much. Yes, I do. I totally want to big it up too much. <laughs> um, to that end, I don't think I can really explain exactly what happens in it, aside from to say you really, really need to see the episode Song of the Petalars. Um, the, only thing, the only thing I would say, it's all about perspective. Yeah, it's all about perspective. And if the... Uh, yeah, if there were going to be more of those episodes in season two, it is a goddamn crime that there were not more Thundercats. And I really hope that these uh, the the writers um, go on to um, you know really excellent things as a result of um, of working on this because they deserve it. That that's a that's a wonderful like up there with the best episodes of Avatar. That's what I'm putting my chips on at this stage. By the way. Uh, you know, in terms of like, it's it's absolute emotional highs, are um, just work with that. And it, it's 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 a small disposable episode where like it's not really the main characters, the Thundercats, that you're really invested in at that point or by the end, but it gives such a broad and at the same time microscopic perspective on the world and on life that it, it's a humbling experience to watch. 
and it's beautiful. And it's it's basically a little Ghibli film in 20 minutes. Mm, yeah, yeah, it totally is. Yeah. Of life. It is a fragile gift, and not one that you can keep forever. But it is the most precious gift in all the world. Use it well, little one. And I think we're probably going to have to leave it there. We're, that's, that's it for Thundercats. I, I won't say forever, but of all the things that go away and come back again, this seems like it's, it took a long time to return. And then when it did, it was a very imperfect incarnation. And it would likely make... Um, new you know prospective ip holders of it um skittish about uh uh doing another one or, or doing a movie because it's it feels like the license is so rooted in the 80s and with a very specific generation it hasn't had that gap um you know one cartoon series with some you know absolutely brilliant uh you know excellent violence in it was uh, batman the animated series a lot of fisticuffs went on in that and that was a, a sort of a 90s mainstay. So Batman never goes away, not for long at all. Um, you know, the Turtles are always going to keep coming back because they've had that generational thing. They, they had their time in the late 80s, early 90s. They had their time in the early 2000s. They're having their time again. And then when people get sick of them... I, 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 it's difficult now because once something becomes big, it feels like the Transformers are never going to go away. Mm. Don't remind me. <laughs> because the movies keep making a billion and each, each time. And uh, the animated shows range from Prime to other ones. Um, and so, yeah, the Transformers are evergreen. He-Man is suffering a similar kind of, you know, he, he appeals to a certain generation, but they have had difficulty really cementing him with the kids again. And it's it almost seems like, you know, with, with the, the animated shows that kids demand more these days. But Sha- but Lyra loves the 2011 Thundercats and was totally invested in it and wanted to see more. So it can't just be that the new shows can't hold a candle to things like Avatar, because that's patently not true. And it can't just be that the toy lines didn't do well enough. Surely, please, tell me that's not the only reason. That's the simple reason. Yeah. But um, Rankin and Bass returned for this. I think they're like executive producers, and at least whichever the younger one uh, was was sort of like, took a more creative role in it. So that that legacy is still there. A um, couple of the voice actors for the original cast have passed on in between times, um, which is is very sad. But like Larry Kenny, you know, still has an extreme fondness for Lionel, 
Like he'd um, sneak up to kids in Toys R Us when he was looking at Thundercats figures and do the Lion-O voice just to freak him out. I feel like Thundercats will return, but again, when it does return, it might be fleeting even then. Like they'll try for a movie and maybe that movie won't make a huge amount of money. You know? Like the TMNT in 2007. Remember that one? Sort of came along, failed to make a massive impact. Because it was going to be a computer animated uh, movie. Thundercats was. They were, they were planning that. And that okay. event, you know, some of those uh, ideas, they were, they were going to do it performance capture. Some of those ideas eventually filtered their way through to the 2011 version. Um, but the 2011 version is testament to the fact that this is a license that, and uh, a very simplistic, very broad very, let's face it, derivative story can be updated and made fresh and produce something fantastic. A little patchy at times, but, you know, at its core, a really great show. So I think the legend of the Thundercats will maintain, even if um, they have to sort of come and go now and then. I'm not sure it'll ever really have that same penetration as Transformers, though. But to a degree, again, they're undercats, which is, again, why I kind of root for them more than a, any other um, license from the 80s. And again, because uh, we haven't been bombarded by them over the years, we haven't had loads and loads of shit Thundercats. Because even the bad Thundercats show was good. And there have been comics and other... Just comics. <laughs> so keeping them alive. And... Um, and yeah, they, they continue to be uh, toys and collectibles. And obviously, the uh, the, the Matty Collector uh, Thundercats Classics line is going to bring the uh, cat fans out of the woodwork. And maybe, maybe we might get a Panthro figure because they made a and a Chitara. They made a Lion-O and a Tigra that one time, and then they sort of made a Rotocast Mumra and a slightly different scaled Mumra. But we're still waiting on a Panthro and a Mumra and a. Just, just make them all. I mean, the the, the Matty Collector Master of the Universe series went on in like it's like 113 or something. It's ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, Thundercats figures fans, there's that to look forward to. But uh, <clears throat> bring your wallets is all I'll say. Hmm. Okay, that's it. I think that, that's it from us. And the final number uh, was. 150 was drag store on the Matty Collector things, but they're still doing them. So yeah, there could potentially be a lot of uh, Thundercats figures coming out for collectors in the next few years. And that's been going since 2008. Okay. I don't even know who this podcast is for, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Such a niche market. It's for for us. (laughs) The average person's not... We're at three hours now. The average person's going, shut up about Thundercats. The average person wouldn't watch Thundercats for three hours. Yeah. If you're stuck with us for this long, um, when you tweet at us, put in brackets... um, Oh, ML. Just uh, in brackets. It's it's like um, the IST for the Lou Reed's episode, like the code for if you got all the way to the end. It's like a little code of honour, code of respect. Just just ML then. Mumra lives. <laughs> Wherever evil exists, Mamra lives. Ah, that's a nice sort of way for uh, Thundercats to be remembered in that kind of uh, the uh, ever living way. Hmm. Okay. Although, are you implying that this podcast is evil? Yes, 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 it is. <laughs> it's very evil. I knew it. 
Okay. Uh, thank you very, very much, Jerome. You've been incredibly patient with us. No worries. Glad to come on. <laughs> I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And school's, school's out. out. us out at the very end we have a blast from the past this is a snippet from my never mind the buzz geeks quiz episode on 80s cartoons this was recorded way back in 2010 and if you dig deep enough into the podcast feed you will find it at the very bottom now this one's a tricksy curveball so be careful before you answer immediately I think I've got the QI answer that will set the buzzer off. <laughs> yes, okay, right. Um, anyone want to take an educated guess at what this might be without going straight for the QI answer? Red, Matt. I think it's Thundercats. <laughs> Actually, one point for that there, Matt. But it's not just is Thundercats. It, is it the Japanese version of Thundercats? Pretty close. Because it didn't sound like it, it didn't have the female vocals. It had a it had a guy singing it. It sounded like right. Is it Voltron? Nope. It's Thundercats related, yeah. It is indeed. Is it the sexy Mumra show? <laughs> Which is not the sexy Mumra show. Mumra, see me flash. <laughs> okay, it was indeed Thundercats, but it was actually the French Thundercats, which is Cosmo Cats. This is how it sounded. Just me? Does that sound really, really camp? Cosmo, 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 and it should be Cosmo Shat, surely. Cosmo Shat, I believe. Yes, you're quite right. Who is the Cosmo Shat? Oh, the Dutton. Who is the Sir? Oh, snap, snap. Oh my god! Just now! Allez, let's go! What's French for sword? What? Allez, let's go! Allez, let's go! Oh, oh, Cosmo Cats. <laughs> 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 <laughs>